0: Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by State Farm. Just like football, life can be unpredictable. That's why State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents. A local State Farm agent could be just around the block, whether you talk in person, by phone, or through the app. State Farm is there. Go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. Meanwhile, the Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig, much like a premium espresso machine. but makes cocktails instead. Over two dozen different drinks to choose from. There's literally something for everyone. Even nephew Kyle, who's tried a few of these. Good mojito. Uh, Yeah, good mojito. Uh, You can get it with exclusive savings plus free shipping. Drinkworks.com. Use my code BS at checkout to just save $50 and get free shipping. Remember, please enjoy responsibly. Drinkworks Home Bar is currently available in California, New York, Florida, Missouri, Pennsylvania, and Illinois, with more states available for presale today at drinkworks.com. We're also brought to you by the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast, where we put up a new one this week. Dirk Nowitzki and the pyramid. How, how high did he climb? He was the one that if you read my 2009 book His uh, the analysis of him probably aged the worst because he hadn't won the 2011 finals yet, so we had to redo that one. Mark Stein came in and we talked about Dirk's incredible career and broke down all the what ifs and everything else. You can listen to that in the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. Also, we put up a new rewatchables this week. I'm not on this one, but I was replaced by Ryan Rosilla, who is my uh, my my muscle bound extra (laughs) when we need a New England guy on rewatchables. But it was Wolf of Wall Street, him, Sean Fennessy, and Chris Ryan. It's the longest rewatchables we've ever done, which I had some issues with because Fennessy is uh, a big proponent of the Irishman was not too long. So now he's taking it out on us by making the rewatchables too long. I'm going to have a talk with him after this podcast. But you can listen to Wolf of Wall Street on the rewatchables pod, and you can listen to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast. Coming up, I'm about to fix... The NBA schedule and the midseason tournament and the plan thing. I have a whole strategy for it. I'm going to talk about that at the top. Then Jason Concepcion is going to come in to talk about what the hell has happened to the Knicks. How did they do it again? They struck out on KD and Kyrie. They wasted all their cap space and they're the worst team in the league. How did they do it? So we're going to talk about that. And then, best for last, Tim Robbins finally on the BS podcast. I guess I just missed my friend. It's all coming up first. Our friends from Pearl Jam. All right. So I was dying to talk about this over the Thanksgiving break. Big story by Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski on November twenty-third, the beginning of last week about the NBA, was talking with the Players Association, with their broadcast partners, about really shaking up the league calendar, which is something, as you know, if you've read me or if you've listened to this podcast, I have been passionate about for the last 12 years. I way back in the day called it the entertaining as hell tournament, which was basically, I think it was 14 teams made the playoffs and then the other 16 had a single elimination tournament for the last two spots. Since then, I've tweaked it, changed it. Changed. Last year in this podcast, had a whole bunch of new ideas for it. But this story really made it seem like this is something that could be happening where they were shortened in the regular season to 78 games, where you're talking about reseeding teams in the semifinals based on regular season record talking about a play-in game for the seven, eight, nine, and 10 seeds, trying to get the last two seeds heading into the playoffs. All of these different things. And one of the things that was in here was a mid-season tournament. Post-Thanksgiving, extending into mid-December, something like that, or uh, late January, February tournament that would head into All-Star Weekend. One of those two, the idea has been bad around and has never worked. All right, so why hasn't it worked? Why hasn't this idea caught on? here's the problem. There's no incentives for the players. I've heard money getting thrown around Well, that's these players already make a ton of money. That's not, it's not going to excite them. If there was a $20 million prize for the winning team. I don't know if that, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I don't know if that is enough of an incentive for some of these guys to do the wear and tear of a tournament like that. I've heard people talk about a lottery pick. Well, if I'm Kawhi Leonard, what do I care if the Clippers get a lottery pick? That's just somebody that can take my job or force me to get traded or who knows? Like these guys don't care about anything other than getting through the playoffs and winning the title. And in my opinion, that's how you would have to incentivize them. All right. So how do you do that? Well, here was my idea. And I should mention, I think this, this, this story getting leaked out was a half full shit move by Adam Silver. And I mean that in the most endearing way possible. I think something Stern was really good at, and I used to make fun of him about it all the time, was late September, early October, he would do some crazy thing that got people talking for two weeks, whether it was like the dress code or God knows what. I think Silver was trying to do it with this story, especially heading into Thanksgiving. From uh, the people I've talked to, this was something, they talked about all these different alternatives two months ago, the Board of Governors meeting, and it hasn't really had any momentum at all since then. And I think some people in the league were a little surprised that this story came out. But look, this is a good thing ultimately because this leads to an idea that I actually think would work really well. Like I'm actually excited about this idea because it solves a lot of issues. All right, what are the issues? One, the season is too long. We can all agree on that. Ideally, you want the season to be you know, 70, 72 games, something like that. Everyone I've talked to in the NBA They've said, we can't lose 12 games. We can't replace the money. We just can't. It's too much money. We could lose maybe two home games where it drops to 78. You could maybe lose the two if you replace it with some other source of income. But these guys are all rich for a reason. They're not just going to give away money if they don't have to. So you have to incentivize it a little bit differently. My first goal is to get to 72 games for the regular season. I think that solves... A bunch of different problems. For one thing, the schedule, it works out perfectly. You'd play everybody in your own conference three times. You'd play everybody in the other conference twice and you're done. Great. 72 games. Well, unfortunately, we're lopping off a lot of money with that. We have to replace it. How do we replace it? How about a mid-season tournament? Okay. Well, what are the incentives? How do we get these guys to care? Here's how you get them to care. After the at the thirty five game mark, we have the Russell Cup in New York City. You like that idea, Kyle? The Russell Cup, it's a good name, named after Bill Russell, of not course. Russell Westbrook. Of course, the top fourteen teams by record are invited to the Russell Cup, and the top seeds in each conference get a bye. They are automatically advanced to round two. So now we have three against 14, four against 13 on down the line. All right. So first round, it's worth one win. Now we get to the second round. There's only eight teams left. That's also worth one win. We get to the semifinals. Now there's four teams left. It's worth two wins. It's a double game. We get to the finals. The last two teams standing, that's worth four wins. Plus the 31st pick in the draft is a little out of bonus. Okay. So, what do I mean by four wins, two wins, all that stuff? I'm saying we take the regular season record of these teams. So, let's say the Celtics finish 50 and 22, but they win the Russell Cup. You add seven wins from the Russell Cup because winning the Russell Cup is worth seven wins. You add that to their record. So, instead of 50 and 22, you really become 57 and 22. Now you're going to say, this gets complicated. Now nobody has the same things. You know how hockey, you look at the hockey standings and the hockey standings are like 10 columns long and there's all these different records in there and you don't know what the fuck's going on. That's kind of what we need to do with the NBA. So if the Celtics go 50 and 22, we have the regular season, we have that whole standings the way they would normally look. And then you have a separate thing to the right of it where it has your tournament record for the midseason, So you'd have seven points. Uh, the most you get is seven points. The second most you get if you made the finals, but you didn't win is four points. So you'd have those points next to it with a total number of points for all your wins. So if the Celtics have 50 wins. Then you have the next column in the standings, it's seven. And then total points, 57. That becomes their regular season, quote unquote, record and that's how we would decide who would make the playoffs. In my opinion, this would force these guys to actually care and take this seriously cuz so I'm taping this on a Monday right now. The Bucks are 17 and 3. The Celtics are 14 and 5. But if the Celtics won this mid-season tournament and you added seven seven hypothetical wins to their record, and that 14 and 5 suddenly becomes a 21 and 5 that's a pretty good advantage over Milwaukee especially if you have the winning percentage now Milwaukee would really have to catch up the point is i think i think these teams would actually care about the cup because they only have to win four games and if you space them out it's over like the course of eight or nine days however however long it has to be um there's there's real reasons to win it and maybe throw in a cash thing, $10 million or $5 million, whatever it is, like it, you want to wet their beak, so to speak, a little godfather two-term. But I think this would actually work. Now think about we're at like the 30-game mark. Only 14 teams can get into the tournament. Um, you're gonna, we, we'll, we'll be talking about it. There's going to be some teams on the bubble. We're going to be wondering who can get the top seed in each conference so they get the buy in round one, which is basically a free win. It'll be a conversation starter. That's right around when we start getting bored with the NBA about just the narratives and stuff around game 28, game 29, where it's like, all right, who's who's on the all-star team? And then everybody writes their all-star game column and does their whole thing. Now we'd actually be like, holy shit, the Russell Cup is coming. Who's going to get the one seed? Who's going to make it? What are these matchups going to be like? And by the way, if you think this is stupid, you're full of shit. Because if this was on TV, you're watching it. If we spread this out over the course of a week, and this is on all the time, and it's all leading to you know, the semifinals is the Clippers and the Lakers in one bracket, and Dallas against Milwaukee in the other one, and Dallas has upset a couple teams, and all of these wins are at stake. And this could actually affect the standings. That's a real thing that I think would work. All right, so what do we do with the other 16 teams? Well, they're playing in the Chamberlain Cup. You know why he named it the Chamberlain Cup? Because he won nine less titles than Bill Russell. Yeah, that's why. The bottom 16 teams by record, first three rounds are worth one win each. And then the finals are worth two wins plus the 32nd pick. So that could actually, you know, you get a high second round pick plus the chance to gain a little momentum. These games, in my opinion, you need to take these and you sell them to like The Zone or ESPN+. Plus. This is like just perfect content for these streaming services that need content. Hey, maybe HBO Max gets involved too. Disney Plus? Oh yeah, maybe you should get involved too. Somebody's going to want these, even though they're the worst teams. You stagger them in ways so that they're never competing against the Russell Cup. And we just do this for like 10, 11 days. And now there's real stakes and there's double wins and quadruple wins and... I don't know. I think it would work. Now, here's the other wrinkle. Because we want people to care about this entire season and we want real stakes. is going to hate this idea. I don't care. You know that playing tournament where they talk about seven, eight, nine, ten. 10? I want to go deeper. I want higher stakes. How about this? Only the top five seeds in each conference are guaranteed playoff spots. And if you're not a top five seed, guess what? Got a little thing called a play-in game for you. You want to make the playoffs? You're the sixth seed. You were on the cusp. You didn't quite get in. You didn't get one of those top five spots. Well, you got to play the eleven seed to get in. You get to host the game. That's the fun part. Six versus 11, seven versus 10, eight versus nine. Six games total. Single elimination. And that's it. Guess what? If you, anybody who watches the challenge on MTV, still one of the great institutions in television history. Everybody is very focused on not ending up in the elimination thing at the end of the show, because you know what can happen—the elimination thing. It's 50-50. You never know. You might get, you might get clipped by a puzzle. You might be in some game where you you have to. It's a physical game, and you go against somebody bigger than you. All the strategy, all the drama of this show is avoiding that 50 50 contest at the end. And that would be the same thing for the playoffs here. If we're only guaranteeing five playoff spots in each conference, people can't fuck around the regular season anymore. I'm sorry. The Clippers, the load management thing, you can't do the load management as much if you're worried about, oh man, we might not be a top five team because who saw this Dallas thing coming? And now there's six good teams in the West and we got to get our shit together. Kawhi, I'm sorry. I know your knee hurts, but you're going to have to play tonight. I think it would completely change the mechanics of how the teams in the top five or six operated. I don't think they'd be able to rest guys as much. On top of it, it's a 72-game schedule anyway, so we'd have less games. I think the quality of play would go up. So that'd be one good thing. And then the other thing is from a tanking standpoint, instead of just eight playoff teams in each conference and then basically if you're not going to make the playoffs, you just throw your season away and you start losing games intentionally and doing all the other terrible stuff we've seen. Now it's like if you have a chance to get a, a 9, 10, or 11 spot, which is really a group of about you know five or six teams in each conference, they'd have to take that seriously. Why wouldn't you try to make it? What What's wrong with trying to make the playoffs? It's it's not going to affect whatever your lottery record was because it's still, it's that's still done by record, whatever. But now you have this little carrot at the end. Think about LeBron James and the Lakers last year. LeBron could have come back. They could have been a 10 seed or an 11 seed, potentially, maybe even a nine seed, but he just shut it down because what was his incentive? Well, if there was the carrot of, well, you could actually make the playoffs and be in this play in game. First of all, what a nightmare for the sixth seed where it's like, holy shit, we got to play LeBron. One game, winner takes all. Um, but it also makes it really hard to shut guys down. And it makes it much harder not to do the right thing. So that's why I would guarantee the top five seeds in each conference. I would really weigh the wins in these midseason tournaments. And you'd put real stakes because the goal of all of this is how do we win the title? How do we... Not beat our players into the ground. How do we space the season out in a really fun way that keeps everybody's interests? And how do we have these little breaks and hiccups? I think it would be really fun i I think this is the only way you could do a midseason tournament. I don't think I don't think paying the players rewarding them with lottery picks. all that stuff works. But if you weigh the wins in the tournaments at midseason, that has some great benefits. and if you cut down the number of guaranteed playoff seeds, People can't just shut it off when they want to. That would be the goal of it, right? Uh, as always, I'm happy to hear your thoughts. You can email us at mailbag at theringer.com. I feel pretty strongly about this uh, idea, though. Kyle, would you rather go to the Russell Cup in New York or would you rather go to the Chamberlain Cup in Vegas? A little seedier. Vegas, huh? A little seedier, lower stakes. Yeah, I had a great time at Summer League, so I'd say I'll go to the Chamberlain Cup. Chamberlain Cup will be the Russell Cup will be like where all the establishment is yeah and the Chamberlain Cup will be kind of the underground might run into Oak there it's Vegas (laughs) there's probably something bad will happen at some point there'll be some incident Uh, so that's my idea the Russell Cup the Chamberlain Cup midseason tournaments at the 35 game mark only five playoff spots guaranteed in each conference 72 game regular season and I think we're good thank you and please drive through And now it's time for the State Farm safe bet of the week. The team you can count on. Just like football, life can be unpredictable. That's why State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents. Wow. A local State Farm agent could be just around the block, whether you talk in person, by phone, or through the app. State Farm is there. Go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. You know who I can count on right now? The Tennessee Titans. They've done really well for me the last couple weeks. Since they've uh, replaced Marcus Mariota for Ryan Tannehill, they lost 16 to nothing to Denver in week six. And since then, they've been a house of fire. They've only lost once. They beat Kansas City. Last week, they go in Indianapolis. Everything's going wrong for them in the first half. Henry fumbles on the first drive. Tannehill fumbles later in the first half. Doesn't matter. They come back at 17 to 17 after the uh, third quarter. And they just take over the game in the fourth. They win by 14. I think they're a playoff team. And I think they think they're a playoff team. That's the thing that's been startling to me. Uh, they have a lot of confidence right now. And you can make a case. Not only should they be one of the wildcard teams, but you can make a case. They have Houston week 15, Houston week 17, that they can still steal the AFC South. So you look at this Raiders game this week, possible trap game. Raiders have looked terrible the last uh, last two weeks. They've gotten killed. They lost... 74 to 12 the last two weeks. They have only scored 29 points in the last three weeks. But here's the thing. They were six and four a couple weeks ago. They're still kind of in the wild card hunt. It's hard for it to be a trap game if it's also a meaningful season on the line game for Oakland. I think Tennessee shows up this week. I think they proved to everybody that they are a playoff team. And I think we're going to look at those Houston games, week 15, week 17, as games that Tennessee could take the division in. So there you go, State Farm. Talk to an agent today and trust the Tennessee Titans. All right. You know things are bad with the Knicks when we bring Concepcion on. Jace right. Concepcion. That's right. Host of NBA Desktop. That's right. For The Ringer, as well as co-host of Binge Mode, plowing right. through Star Wars. Mallory is like between Lamar and Mandalorian. She's, She's out of She's never her mind. had
1: it better in her life. This no. is like the this is her peak.
0: It really is. She feels walking, like Apex her, Mallory. It's
1: unbelievable. She's walking around on a cloud. She had the she had uh, f- members of her like coaching staff of her favorite team walking through the halls on Friday, and like yeah. it was amazing. And she's got she gets to watch Lamar like uh, crush the world
0: after Game of Thrones ended. We all worried about <laughs> her physical well being, her sanity, all these things, and now she's just rejuvenated. Yeah. Now I'm worried about your physical well being and sanity. The Knicks. <laughs> I've been through this. It's fine. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I've been, this I've been, is like, people act
1: like, oh, they get on me on Twitter, hey, oh, you can't say anything because the, the Knicks have been terrible for 20 years. It's yeah. never stopped me from saying anything before. I'm fine. I've seen this before.
0: We did, for the Book of Basketball <laughs> podcast, a couple months ago, we taped it. One of the last great Nick moments ever. We're going to run it in a couple of weeks. Uh, LJ's four point play. We did a rewatchables about that game moment. 20 full years ago. Crazy, crazy talk. And arguably since then, there's only been a couple of highlights, but I want to talk specifically about let's, talk, let's do it. just what happened the last two years because, <clears throat> you know, you win 54 games in 2013. You have puncher's chance. That Pacer series goes sideways. The next year it drops to 37. The year after that, yeah. it drops to 17. Wins,
2: 32
0: wins, 31 wins, 29 wins, 17 wins last year, but it was all leading to Durant and Kyrie coming and then they didn't come. And the way the team responded is what I want to talk about because it's not just about not getting those guys. It's not just about a culture of fear and incompetence and losing and all that. Sure. Sure. Um All these moves are related in this crazy way. It they, starts. They're all,
1: yeah, they're all related.
0: Let's go back a year ago. They stretch Joakim Noah's deal, right? They do this, and people are like, "Oh, they're getting KD and Kyrie. Why else would you right. do this?" Well, he could have been a 2020 expiring this year. Would have been I, nice. It,
1: it would have been fine. It, it would. It doesn't move the needle that much. It would have been nice. Yes.
0: It's all part of this bigger picture. Yes. He counts on the cap 6.4 this year, 6.4 next year, 6.4 in 2021, 22 So now you're already operating with with 6% less of cap in the year that you're trying to get Giannis and all these guys allegedly. Then you trade Porzingis, Hardaway, and Lee to Dallas for two firsts, Dennis Smith Jr., and some expiring contracts. Couple issues here. You badly I say you like you were the next year.
1: It's fine. I get it.
0: <laughs> you, overate, you, you overate DSJ and really uh, overate the part where-
1: Well, I mean, sure. Go on. Sorry.
0: Well, you overate Douse's desperation to get rid of him to start yeah. the Luke era.
1: Yeah. I think that, listen, I was against that trade.
0: You were unhappy.
1: I was unhappy for various reasons. One, you know, I'd like to see somebody actually- um, I'd like to see someone actually sign the qualifying. (laughs) (laughs) With the Knicks. Yeah, I'd like to. And the number one thing I think that you're getting at that I want to cut right to the heart of is this. The Knicks are not a free agency destination for top tier free agents. They're not a place that top tier free agents are looking to go. Last summer should have absolutely proved that in anybody's minds. If people are looking, if Knicks fans and the, and the Knicks front office are looking ahead to Giannis, what they need to do is show that they can be a normal team that, that drafts good players, develops them, and then molds those players into something like a cohesive team that doesn't necessarily need to like set the world on fire, but needs to show that the, the basic building blocks of a good team are there so that good players can come in and it's like plug and play. The Knicks aren't doing that. Like you know, top tier free agents don't want to come here. So what you have to start from ground zero and build the team up from the, the the bottom level.
0: And the only real advantage you would have in that situation is lottery picks. Yes, where they were in this situation with Porzingis, but they yeah. weren't because they traded him before they even Zingis got in the exactly. situation. You have this window with young guys where it's like we're the only ones who can make you rich here for yeah. about a year, and if you don't take our money. Now you're gonna now there's risk. You yeah. might get hurt, all this stuff. But here's a lot of money. Just take it. And now we have you for at least a couple more years. They squandered that with the Porzingis thing. And the the real issue is they really under-evaluated Luca because you have an unprotected 2021 <laughs> pick. Yeah. And you have a top 10 protected 2023 pick. But now it's like, well, the Mavs are one of the top eight teams in the league. I mean, to be fair, we
1: all th- Luca was obviously a elite prospect as a teenager coming out of the second best league in the world. That said, what he's doing now is like unheard of. Well, Nobody he, thought he had this gear in him. Maybe not right away. Career. Yeah. Not in his, not this early,
0: but as a rookie, it was like, yeah. all right, this guy's definitely something.
1: I, I agree. I think, I think the the trap you kind of get um, into as a Knicks fan is like, you can take some of these moves out in isolation and go, Oh, This training Porzingis makes sense considering the, uh, like the environment and the chaos surrounding him and the fact that he wanted to go. And he hated it there, there. But it's like, you need to go to the root. Why did he hate it there? You know (laughs) (laughs) know what I mean? It's like, yes, I wish he didn't do that and act like such a scumbag and forcing his way out. And I wish the Knicks also would have held the line a little stronger and been like, uh, let's, you know, try and ex- it, it, at the very least extract more resources from Dallas. But at the the bottom line is, why is it that players don't want to be there? Figure Let's figure that out. Because that's the problem from which all the other problems stem. And everything else is just trying to like basically patch the hole in the boat. And all that stuff makes, yes, okay, uh, you know, Julius Randle and other players on short contracts. Yeah, that makes sense for right now uh, you know, develop our young players. Okay. That makes sense for Fisdale, who, who's liked by LeBron and others. Uh, yeah, that makes sense right now. But like as a whole, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense because they're still thinking of themselves as like this top tier free agency destination, big market, blah, blah, Cause blah. Cause it's New York. Cause it's New York. And.
0: But meanwhile, no 2010, 2014, strikeout, strikeout, 2016, strikeout, strikeout. 2018. Just whiffs galore, except for Amari, who showed up and his knee was gone in 40 games. Yeah,
1: because we would take him with an uninsured knee. So it's like.
0: I hated the Porzingis trade when it happened. We did an emergency podcast. We all (laughs) killed it. We were like, what the fuck are they doing? It's actually worked out worse than we thought, because at least you had the sliver of hope that Luca wasn't going to be what he is now for a couple of years. But now he's that right away. So that even that 21 pick, it was like, well, at least that'll be a lottery pick. That's now not going to be a lottery pick. That's tough. All right. So you have that. Last summer, they strike out on everybody. Part of the problem with that Porzingis trade is you get all the, you dump your other two contracts. It's like, right. well, now we got cap space. Right. We got him. This is the Porzingis thing guys. is leading to yeah. Katie and Kyrie. You don't get any of those. <laughs> then another thing we killed on the ringer all over the place. They just spend all the cap space. They get, here's what they got. Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Julius yeah. Randall, Marcus Morris, Wayne Ellington. Reggie book Alfred Payton for 77 million dollars.
1: again, in isolation, I think if you look at it as a response to okay, we struck out on the free agency no big deal. here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna reload with guys who are pretty good on contracts that are not egregious and then all of a sudden, hey, you know if if um if a contender or a bowl contender uh, comes around uh, later in the season and they, and they need a guy, we got all these guys. And also Mm. it's not hurting us long-term with these, but like the knock-on effect is, now you got all these guys who are playing for their next contract. Right. You know, so like players who already had a tendency to just be like out for their numbers are now like incentivized to be out for their numbers. And then what's going to happen like in a couple of years? Now we're just going to be hoping that another free agent comes. It's like concentrate on the draft, develop Frank, Mitch, young players, RJ, and. Knox, Knox, and Hope Knox hit- who got a DMP okay, last I week. I mean, Knox has been tough.
0: So i had I had so many issues with how they spent that money. For one thing, on four guys, on four, four guys, mean, guys who basically play the same position. Yeah. And there was like some there's some weird Knicks defenders on Twitter, and they were like, "Well, actually, Bobby Portis can play center, and Randall and can, and Marcus Morris can play power. Uh, I mean, that- small forward. It's like, okay, fine, but that's not going to work. Randall and Morris, I would say, are Two of the top seven ball stoppers in the league. I had to watch Morris the last couple of years. I he's competitive. I liked him. He gets the ball. The ball stops. You uh, get uh, Randall the ball. The ball stops. And if you watch the Knicks this year, one of the reasons they're four and seventeen, who's it's passing? just guys standing around. Who's
1: passing? I, I mean, that's a it's a huge issue, and it's like not really any of anyone's fault. It's just you have that many guys who are already ball stoppers who are now playing for their next deal, what do you think they're gonna do? And it's like you have them it's like it's man, if you have any of those guys on the floor at the same time, which you have to have sometimes, it is it's tough it's tough to watch them. They will just ISO out and dribble it out. Uh, and it's like, listen, Ran- I don't think-
0: rando just everything stops. And I, I actually like Rando. I, li- I, I just like him think on the right team he could be a real asset on this team. It's, it's bad. Just,
1: yeah, you can't have like three other guys like Randall all trying to do <laughs> Randall's stuff on the team. And then it's like, listen, I don't love Fisdale. I have, I, have, I have issues with him as well. But it's like, what do you, they handed him the squad and they're like, go win with this. But, Four
0: point guards, five power forwards.
1: Yeah, like, and, and it's, that to me is insane. Like, who convinced Jim Dolan that this was a competitive good team? Like on paper.
0: Well- the patent thing was underrated, bizarre, because they already had so many poor uh point guards. So, short term for this sure. year, and we were saying this last summer, you can listen to anything we did. The one advantage they had once these guys burned them was like, okay, we're your way station now. Right. Come. Are you worried about the luxury tax? Do you have to get rid of a contract to accommodate trade? Right. We're here. Park Give us your picks. money here. Park it here. So you're talking about stuff like. You know, OKC's they they trade Westbrook for Chris Paul. They get two first round picks for it, yeah. but they don't want Chris Paul. Right. It's like, well, what do we do with this guy now? And the Knicks could have had eighty million to be like, I we have an idea. Just give him to us. We'll take him. Throw in a pick too. That'll be great. So you have that. You have Miami's trying to dump Whitesides last year. I'm not a Whiteside fan. I'd rather have Whiteside than than Bobby Portis and. Alfred Payton, the Chris and if you're, Paul, especially if you're throwing me a pick.
1: The Chris Paul thing is interesting, just because, like, listen, it, are you trying to rehabilitate your image in the league? Why not get one of these uh, players who, yes, he's old and don't be don't expect to compete with him or be relevant? But if you can just kiss his ass for the length of his contract, so that he's like, you know what, the Knicks treated me pretty good.
0: Yeah. It,
1: that is uh you know you're killing a bird with a couple of, with one stone right there. You're getting a good player and you're hopefully rehabilitating your your image. You're getting your a leader. Image. You're getting a leader and you're rehabilitating your image with uh, amongst good players in the league, which is like could not be lower. The no, players so, don't want to come to the Knicks.
0: So the Knicks fans would say, "No, Chris Paul that's stupid. He's got 3 years left on his deal. That last year is 38 million, 44 million, whatever it is. It's
1: legitimately a lot of money."
0: Guess what? You're not signing a free agent anyway. Guess who's not coming to the Knicks? Giannis. He's not coming. Stop.
1: He's not. Stop. I I can already sense it coming, you know, like where it's by the end of this season, all of a sudden it's going to be the drumbeat of, oh, he's coming. And like, oh, like they're going to they'll sign one of his brothers or something like, you know, like one of those like the DeAndre (laughs) Jordan signing from last year with the Knicks where it's like, oh, he's close with Kyrie. Let's get him on the Yeah, that worked out great. It worked out great. It, they'll sign, you know, his brother and maybe one of his friends and then like hire his personal chef and give him a restaurant like in the and it won't work again. But, but here's I can my, see it coming.
0: Here's my advice on that. Do the opposite. Don't hire anybody who knows the players, because I think part of the problem with having DeAndre last year was the Knicks are so effed up <laughs> that he was there for two months and he was probably on the phone with KD and Kyrie and during oh, a group FaceTime. He's like, don't no, come here. It's terrible. There's
1: no question. But I will say that they boomeranged on them because I think, you know, the, I think the reason that they insisted on him going to Brooklyn was they didn't realize he was washed. Because like, oh, he's playing on the Knicks. He's probably he was probably just coasting, and then they get him, and they're like, oh, I think he is actually washed.
0: It was it was the DeAndre tax. Yes, on top of no KD for a year, very- <laughs> so you can end up with the enigma that is Kyrie. It's Good luck one with of the that.
1: one of the few things that I am taking solace in right now in New York area basketball. Yeah is that occurrence.
0: So you had, I mean, here's some other ones you could have had. Phoenix had to dump TJ Warren for reasons that remain unclear. They were just giving him away for free. Could have had him for 11 million. I I
1: agree. But it's like, that's another thing where like at least take on guys who aren't like, maybe have problems. Like I, the Knicks culture is so bad. What's his problem
0: that he scores 26 points against good teams. I, I don't know. How about, The Clips got Mo Harkless for nothing. They got him for free. That would have been nice. The Lakers, they had to dump Mo Wagner. They just gave him to the Wizards. Here, take him.
1: KOC fan, Mo Wagner. I do like him.
0: Minnesota would have panic dumped Wiggins last year if anybody wanted him.
1: The Wiggins thing, let's let Ah, it go. Let's let it go for a a little (laughs) bit. is available. I know. I, I, I need to see that happen a little longer. I need to see that continue throughout the season before I believe that it's not like a Flip Murray situation.
0: But what's crazy to me is we have now like a 15 to 20 year track record of how to do years. this. It's a, yeah. No, not even with the Knicks. Oh, oh, so yeah. Just for teams. like Sure. If you strike out on free agents and you have some good young players, sure. bottom out, Sure, use the cap space to take to take other teams' yeah. problems away and get some assets.
1: This is what normal what teams you do. do.
0: That's what normal teams do. Normal teams.
1: And they've been doing it a long time. It's not flashy. It doesn't get headlines, but it does work. And I just wish the, you know, it's like, when will they start acting like a normal team? It's hard to say. I thought we, you know, uh, Knicks fans really thought that last season, oh, they're, they're kind of normal now. This is, you know, like, uh, okay. Perry and Mills, they seem like they know what they're doing. It's like they're level-headed. Maybe they're just going to build, and it falls apart once again.
0: One of the issues, they didn't even clear out the... There's this misnomer now that all of these contracts are one-year contracts. Yeah, not. It's not true. Randall, Ellington, Gibson, Bullock, and Peyton are $48.6 next year. The only ones you're getting rid of after this year are Portis and Morris. If you throw in Noah's dead money... <laughs> That's 55 million for all of those guys. They're at 92 million guaranteed next year. So people are like, well, it's fine. It's only this year. It's like, no, it's not. You're also screwed next year. It's a two-year, you're screwed.
1: uh, But again.
0: You're not getting them anyway. We're
1: not getting them anyway. Like, let's figure out deals to get draft picks, to get assets, to get assets that you could flip for draft picks. Because that's the only way you get out of this.
0: But here's, here's some, so let's say you had all the cap space now. Sure. Let's say you only did Randall. Okay, And you just had a bunch of young guys. There's going to be some dump trades. Like, for instance, San Antonio, at what point did they look at DeRozan yes. and be like, who wants DeRozan? We just want to get rid of them. Here, take them. Uh,
1: that'd be great. That would have been a g- good And nick. then give us a couple of picks for that. Yeah. I mean, that would be great.
0: At- OKC needs to... So there's five teams that have to deal with the luxury tax. OKC is a million over the luxury tax. They My, love
1: paying the luxury tax.
0: Miami is three three $3.8 million. Golden State's 5.9. They don't really have a way out on that. Yeah. Houston's 7.6 and Portland's 13.7 Damn. over luxury tax. So Portland's a situation where if you had had the cap space, they would have been like, hey, can you, can you just take Kent Bazemore? Here's our number one pick. Yeah. Here, take both. Because we don't want to pay the luxury tax. And that's the problem when- when you don't keep that flexibility and everyone's like, no, you got to spend the floor. It's I, like, you don't have to spend the floor until the end of the season. I, you can be under the
1: floor all season. Again, all this makes sense. And I just, and I, I think that the main problem is again, just stop thinking about yourself as a free agency destination. Does it stop, make, stop doing it. it? Does it make sense to have that ability to sign a, a major free agent when they come on the market? Yes. I guess that's responsible and you should do that at the same time. Look at the track record now, and look at the teams that major free agents go to and why they go. Uh, uh, you need to show that you have something there that can be built on, either by giving a a player some kind of stake or agency within the organization that they can have a voice; they feel like they can have a voice in there, or show that like we're in, we're a team that's run in a competent organized way, we know how to draft no, Nobody you know, thinks that. Players. Nobody thinks that about the Knicks. They don't, it, like, they're worried that the, uh, the owner might go on the radio and see something wild or have one of the, like, legendary players of the team thrown out of the garden and, like, whatever the whatever the circumstances around that are, it's a terrible look. Like, James Olin just needs to disappear for a couple of years and not say anything Knicks-related in the press for a while.
0: Like disappear, like move to another country? Just
1: like go on the road, play music, and but don't talk about the Knicks right now.
0: He tried to do that when they hired Phil Jackson, and that also backfired. I think part of the problem is he just hasn't hired the right person to run the Knicks yet. Yeah, I mean- This is 20 years of the wrong people. Remember when you thought Scott Layden was as bad as it was going to get as an executive?
1: Right, then- And then it was Isaiah. And then Isaiah was like, hold my brewery full of beers.
0: And then Phil Jackson's like, I'm putting in 20 hours a week. Watch this.
1: Well, I think you've hit on a good- uh, he you, can hire people. That's a the, I, you've noticed something which I think is important, which is like the, the tendency, certainly under the under Dolan, to look for saviors constantly. The guy who's going to save yeah. it now, man. If we get Masai, offer him twenty million dollars a year, he can turn this around. And by the way, maybe that's that. I'd be in for that. I think Masai's great, but we also recognize that this is the kind of thinking that has got here. Oh, this is going to be the person that turns around. No, okay. Isaiah, he's going to be the person that turns around. He can't turn around and he can't, maybe if he coaches NGMs at the same time, he can turn it around, you know? And it's like constantly. I forgot constantly, that happened. Yeah, that happened.
0: <laughs> I forgot he coached. Yeah, because
1: they because Larry Brown drove them into a hole in the ground. Yeah. And it was like, well, Isaiah, why don't you coach also?
0: Well, I have bad news for you. There's another savior coming. It's good news for people who maybe suicide. want to see their broadcast teams get mixed okay. up. No, I think oh, they're Mark Jackson, Mark Jackson yeah. waiting to happen. I think it's going to happen. I
1: think that that is, you know. Uh, and I got to
0: say, it's not completely illogical because think about two things. You could, I'm you're just hurting, saying. You're
1: hurting me. Okay. No, yes. Go on, yeah. By yeah. the way,
0: I think it would be a bad move to <laughs> yeah, do this, but I'm just saying like, I'm trying to, I'm in James <laughs> Dolan's office right now, listening to the case for it. Sure. And the case isn't awful. So it's like, hey. He was in there from the beginning with Clay and Curry. and yeah. Dre, He he saw Dra He saw the Draymond thing. Sure. He was on the record earlier saying this could be the best shooting court of backcourt of all time. Why weren't they? He's that a diehard under Nick. Him. He gets New York. He's going to know how to deal with the media. ESPN loves him. They'll be much nicer to us because Mark Jackson's here. There's this whole case for bring this guy in, and people will like us more.
1: Uh who cares and, and, about being liked? No, no. I, I'm I agree just saying with that. that's the I, case. I, here's my, my here's my rebuttal. I think the reasons, the basketball reasons to not hire Mark Jackson are many. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> many, but I'm not even going to go there. He is a New York basketball legend. Okay. Let's not tarnish another one. Like. What's, what's, you know what I mean? Like, don't leave him do, pure. don't do this to Mark. Don't put that on him. Don't bring him back to the garden, and then slowly watch the crowd turn on him, mm. and then he becomes the next sacrificial guy, and then he is thrown out again. And now, Mark Jackson's uh, career as a coach is irrevocably ruined. Of course, you know, like again. The reasons that he has not been hired as a coach in the league are. There's many reasons,
0: and, <laughs> including but, the two assistant coaches who yeah, left the team during his last season.
1: Many, many reasons. But like, just don't. Mark doesn't deserve. He is a New York legend. Don't don't tarnish him by making him run by making
0: him coach the Knicks. I have a request for you. Sure. Maybe you need to be a little less selfish. About, how? What? Maybe you need to think about all <laughs> basketball fans. If Jackson leaves ESPN, we get more Doris Burke. Maybe the Knicks yeah. should just take one for the team here, because you're you're that, screwed anyway. That you is, might as well make our TV that broadcasting. That experience is an better. opinion that we I've get heard. more Doris. I mean,
1: that is an opinion that maybe I've maybe more
0: Richard Jefferson.
1: I am just I'm I would just humbly say,
0: <laughs>
1: please no, please don't, please don't let that happen. I mean, like, it's, please don't,
0: please don't make that happen. Can you we just tell know. me quickly? On the bright side. Sure. Somebody says, on the bright side with the the next Jason, dot, dot, dot. What's the bright side?
1: Um, RJ has shown flashes that he can be good. I like RJ. I think Mitch, listen, he can't stop fouling, and that's a problem. But he is a (laughs) difference maker, like, defensively. And when he's in the game, he cleans up so many mistakes, so many mistakes just by his, like, defensive activity and his length. And Do you the, think they'll the increase the limit
0: the to twelve fouls a game? Right now, gr-
1: if that'd be great, then he could play for a half of basketball. <laughs> um, and I think, and and Nilakina, you know, like has shown flashes of late. Of uh, certainly defensively, he's a difference maker. His offense is not good, but it's shown flashes of coming along. And I just, uh, you know, he's he's an impact player on the on the defense. Like he's a player that, like, I could. It's like Trevor Reza. Like I could see him going to like a good team and being like, oh man, he's like an important piece on a good team.
0: I told you last spring, if I was a GM, I already would have traded for him. He's going to be on a good team at some point in his life. He they that Dallas game, you beat Dallas twice. One of the reasons you beat him was he dog. was in Lucas's Lucas jersey he's the whole an absolute the
1: game. Dog. And, and so those are the those are the those are the silver lines. But those the funny the thing glimmers. is if
0: you just had RJ, Knox, smokes and Mitch and not signed any of these other people. I think the fans would have liked that team. I mean, they would have enjoyed the 10 minutes Mitch was in the game. I
1: I agree that (laughs) I, yeah, I think, I think that there is listen, the Knicks fans will always get behind the team. And I think there would have been a significant uh, segment of Knicks fans that have been like, yeah, let's roll the young guys out. Let's get them minutes and let's, let's mold them into like a cohesive uh, basketball team. And let's worry about the wins later. That said, I think that there are, I I get where, (laughs) Where the front office, after striking out on two free agents that they th- really thought that they were going to get, yeah. were like, Uh-oh. "We're coming to New York. Uh oh, what do we do now? Like, we have yeah. to plan B it, and we need to figure this out like in the next twenty minutes. Or it looks like we didn't know what we're doing." Maybe
0: the good news is that you didn't get those guys.
1: I mean, in a way, it kind of is. You let's
0: know, let's hold I, that thought because I want to talk about Kyrie one second. Sure. We get take a break. Quick break to talk about Simply Safe, my choice for home security. Comprehensive, professional home security at a fair price. Right now, it's the best time of the year to get a Simply Safe security system, and you would get a huge discount on that because you're my listener. Simply Safe protects every room, door, and window. Twenty four seven professional monitoring, a smart lock and video doorbell defend your front door package from porch pirates inside. An arsenal of sensors and cameras cover every inch of your home. If there's a break-in, they can give real-time video confirmation to police as it happens. So police respond up to three and a half times faster. Plus, Safe makes it easy. And you know, contract hidden fees or fine print. Prices start at just 15 bucks a month. Simplysafe.com slash BS. That's where you go to get a free camera, plus SimpliSafe's holiday savings. It's a limited time only offer. It's ending soon. Simply Safe with two eyes, simplysafecom slash BS. So Kyrie gets booed at the Celtic game.
1: Yes, he did.
0: There's some Kyrie sucks we knew chance. That, we
1: knew that was going to happen, right? Everybody knew that was going to happen. That's a normal thing that happens in sports. You leave a team under acrimonious circumstances, be it trade or
0: whatever, you're going to get booed. Especially when you tell the fan base that you're coming back and you don't especially when you position yourself as the leader of the team and give crazy, bizarre press conferences all year that bum everybody out and change the tenor of the team. And then you say, just (laughs) wait for the playoffs on playoffs, Kyrie. And then in the Bucks series, all you do is shoot bricks and stumble around for five games. Like you can't wait to leave.
1: Just as an aside, that was so like, thinking about it now. It's crazy. Some of that was so weird. Like the way he was like, he, there were defensive possessions where he's like, I have Giannis. Why? What do you do? Like he would wave guys off and be calling like these defensive, like uh, realignments and stuff. It's like, what, what's happening was, out
0: here right now? It was like shit that happened in the movie above the rim. It was wild. It, w- it would have been like, uh, what was, what was Avon's name? Uh, Sh- Motah. Motaw. Like if he, if he had to shut down Shep, <laughs> he's like, I got this. He's waving people off. That was Kyrie. Yeah. Tommy Shepard, now uh, now the wizard champ. All right. So Kyrie does his Instagram post sure. and he's acting so erratically and bizarre just for the last are year or gonna- so that now people are like afraid to even be like, all right, that was really lame. Why'd you do that? Are you going to read the whole thing? Because
1: I feel like I didn't know I was going to be here this long if you're going to read the entire Instagram post. It's strange <laughs> nine words.
0: So, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read the end. Sure. Because he seems very angry about the fans and the yes. infrastructure of the sport that he loves. It's a meta, it's a meta commentary
1: on the, on the relationship between fans and sport. So and one players. thing he
0: writes is, it's all about doing it for the fans and organization that love you so much, question mark. Think again. It's a game and it's promoted as a fandom experience for ticket buyers and viewers at home it's while they're facing who people truly are as people. And then at the end, he said, "This game isn't meant to be controlled or shown as a drama. It's meant to show the love. All caps. Love for the art is the only damn thing that keeps the purest people in this giant sports entertainment circus. Don't fall for the game that's played in front of you as entertainment. It'll never be a serious dealing with life."
1: I mean, I. Uh, right. let me, go ahead.
0: What do you have to say? No, go ahead.
1: I'll let you go first. I just, I don't necessarily know what Kyrie's point is. Although I do kind of think that he diagnoses the kind of like reality of big time sports in a kind of accurate way in that, you know, the players are out here doing a job and it, they are commodified for profit, certainly. I guess the bottom line is like, yeah, of course it, it's, yeah, that's how the NBA makes money. That's why you make millions of dollars. That's, why, that's, that's kind of what the business is. And I think if they're, so what is, do you have a specific problem with it? What is it? Also, like, I'm not sure. I think he uses punctuation, like, just however he wants. Like, quite, like sometimes the question. I kind of see-
0: like that part of it. <laughs> it's like, it's like watching a great poet. Here, <laughs> I, here's my issue. You, sure. you, you said the key point. This is how everybody makes money. Yeah. The league and the players make money because of the fans. Mm-hmm. The fans buy tickets. Mm-hmm and they watch the TV Mm -hmm. that pays for basically everything. They buy the jerseys, they pay for everything. They buy hats. In China, they're paying for LeBron's trip there. He's been every year for the last 15 years. The fans are the reason these guys make money. So Kyrie's basic point is like, I just want to play basketball. I have this love for this game. Like in a Buddhist
1: monastery. I wanted the pure experience. And
0: unfortunately for me, the fans and the media keep getting in the way of my true pursuit, which is just basketball. I love this game. KD has said forms of this as well. He made Uncle Drew uh, just for the love, the pure love of basketball. So that's where it falls apart right there. (laughs) He made Uncle Drew! (laughs) He made Uncle Drew commercials. He's got Kyrie sneakers. It's only for the love of it. All he's done- It's commodify the game as as egregiously as anyone. So what is he complaining about? All he's done is grab checks left and right off of the fact that fans love basketball. And now he's like, fuck you guys. I wish I could just play basketball. If you want to play basketball just to play basketball, go play pickup. Don't get paid anymore. I, just go go to the Rucker League and just play there for free because you love basketball. You would never do that because you want paychecks. I, so stop with the fucking double standard.
1: I, I 100% agree with you. I will never know the uh, the pure aesthetic delight of being an elite basketball player. I don't know what that does to like a person's uh, psychological makeup when they're just so good at something that, it, that it's like unreal. That said, it's like- it, Fans are going to boo you. They're going to cheer you. They they cheer you when you're doing great. And when they don't like, you, they boo you. That's just kind of what it is. You know, like if. if they boo you. Let's leave aside like the more uh, antagonistic stuff that can happen sometimes. That's like over the line. Fans will boo players that they don't like. That's a reality of sports.
0: They'll also cheer you. They will. They will also cheer you. They will also love you and buy your shoes. They will do all. They will of buy that your stuff. Kyrie sevens, and Absolutely. they will go see Uncle Drew because they like you. So you can't then go on attack because a situation didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to turn out I, in Boston, where the fans do not like you. Sorry, it's a reality of the situation. It, it is a reality of the situation. And if you don't like it, here's an idea: retire from the NBA. He won't, and just and just play pickup Kyrie, because you love
1: basketball. Yes. I would just hope he continues. Kyrie, please continue to post, continue (laughs) to tweet, continue to post to Instagram on your stories and on your main feed, continue to let us in and let us know what is on your mind. I find it fascinating. I find it interesting. I would like to know more. And, uh, and I hope you continue to do that when you're playing and when you're not playing, let us
0: know what you're feeling. I I want to know. If fans can't cheer and boo, and now you're gonna say, like, what crossed the line with the Kyrie stuff? I guess two people put the coward right. stuff outside on polls. Sure. All right. I I wish I wish that it had happened. I also think like it's not like the worst thing that's ever happened. It's not the worst thing. It was like, oh, that sucks. I wish somebody hadn't done that. But in the actual arena, they're just you know, chaining Kyrie sucks. They were mad that he wasn't there. Yes. They wanted him to play. They wanted to root against him
1: it's and and to watch the kind of you know the narrative that's emerging now around Brooklyn where it's like you know whispers oh they're concerned about his moodiness and his emotions and the way he's acting when he's down on the court etc um and yes he seems beloved by players when, you know when it's when teams are hugging after games and
0: it's because yeah, they respect him because he's respect, really talented
1: um but it is yeah. It's interesting to watch. I do wonder, you know, like, he can't go to another team after. Like, he needs to figure this oh, out. he's going to be on
0: like, three more teams. I know, what are you but, you he, about?
1: He, but he needs to figure this out right now. Like, he's not figuring it out. He needs to, he kind of does need to figure it out. I just feel like, man, the next, if you go to your fourth team, that's wild.
0: He's a wonderfully talented player. He's incredible. I When he's
1: playing, it's unbelievable to he's, watch
0: him. He's just incredible. Yeah. He should not try to be a leader, which I think he's slowly figured out. And what he really shouldn't do is attack the whole infrastructure that he's made incredible amounts of money on. And if he doesn't like it, he has options because he can play basketball in his own time. He doesn't have to be in the NBA. If you're in the NBA, there's deals you have to yeah. make. One of them is you are now a public figure. You're going to be dissected. It's the same thing like when LeBron goes to China every year, which yes. he's gone every year for the last 15 He's got to reconcile whoever he feels about the Chinese government and some of the shit they do. And he looks at it and he goes, that's fine. I'm going to take the check anyway, which is what the NBA does, which is what a lot of people do. It's what we do when we buy products from places that are made of these different things. Kyrie has to reconcile the fact that if he's going to behave erratically, which he has been for the last four years, he's going to get booed. He's going to get dissected. And that's just the way it is. If he doesn't like it, retire.
1: I would... My thing is this. I think that, again, I do think that he kind of diagnoses the reality of uh, the NBA ecosystem kind of accurately. I just would like him to be a little bit more. Like what's so what is the actual criticism? How do we change it then? That's that would be interesting to me. I don't think that it's. I don't think that it's changeable. I think that like he's essentially complaining about a thing that is the the state of affairs and kind of like the base level. Wait, you understood what he was complaining about? Not really. I I think he was basically pissed that people were booing him, essentially.
0: And that, like, no, it seemed like he was he was basically saying get a life. Yeah, sure. That was, It was a roundabout way of, like, when you're in a fantasy league with somebody and they forgot to set their lineup and somebody else in the fantasy league is like, what the fuck, it, dude? You didn't set your lineup. He's like, sorry, I had to work this it week. It was kind of like a- It was mat- condescending.
1: It was a little matrixy. Like, don't you realize that we're all, you're trapped in this mindset where, like, players are playing for me, for you, but, like, they're being dehumanized by the system and the fans are all caught up in it and blah, blah, blah. Just, like- what is the actual can you bullet point it? I, I just wish it like maybe <laughs> break it up into paragraphs better. So I just so I can understand. A li- I want to understand. That's all like. So maybe bullet point your points and and don't just do a whole block
0: paragraph of text because it's hard for me to discern where we're going. That's all. Well, he said he said. uh it's promoted as a fandom experience for ticket buyers and viewers at home. Of course, it is. While defacing who people truly are as people,
1: uh,
0: I, defacing is a strong word. I so I
1: interpret that as being Kyrie is saying there's they're commodifying him in a certain way that is not that does not comport with who he is as a person. If that is the case, then I mean, like again, just as an editor, can I, what are some specifics here, Kyrie? Can we get some like under that? What are some examples? Because I you're you're laying out a fascinating case and an idea here. But what else? I'm just really I want to know more. I just want him to
0: continue. Do you think he was upset about the reviews of Uncle Drew? Is that when all this started?
1: I think that he thought he was an Oscar winner. I think his team did everything they could do to shield him from every written review of Uncle Drew to the point where I bet you they, like, <laughs> Photoshop r- fake reviews fake and sent them to him. You know, and, like, uh, created an entire fake Rotten Tomatoes website that he uh, that he could log into and be like, oh, man, Uncle Drew, it's the movie of the century. No one's ever seen anything like this. Roger Ebert died several years ago. Roger Ebert says, Uncle Drew changed my life.
0: So we're not going to see Uncle Drew, too, is how it's starting no, we to shape it. up. We
1: might see it. No, I don't
0: know. He feels like he's been defaced.
1: <laughs> we might see it.
0: I, I just, I guess, and we should wrap up, but I I guess I was watching, my dad and I were watching on Friday. Mm-hmm. There was this ridiculous 12 o'clock, <laughs> uh, what was it, Nets Celtics game? Mm-hmm. Started at 12 o'clock. So the pregame show was on and it was eight o'clock. We're having coffee, West Coast time. Tommy Heintzen is on.
1: Three whiskeys in.
0: He's, he's talking about the Kyrie thing and you could just see he's reining himself he is, in. Yeah. And he wants to do the whole speech of when I was playing, yeah, yeah. they yeah. would throw the corners at us <laughs> as I'm shooting free throws. <laughs> you know he wants to say it, but he's yeah. not. But he he and the host were both basically like Kyrie treated terribly, people terribly here. They're saying it yeah. in roundabout ways, but they don't want to say it. Then it goes to Scalabrini and Scalabrini's like, you're making excuses for what happened in Boston. The reason people react that way was because of what happened on the court and what happened off the court and how you treated people here. And Kyrie needs to reconcile that part. I would advise against the Instagram post. He needs to think about how he treats other people.
1: Uh, Start
0: there and then worry about how he's being treated. That would be my advice. I hope he posts about it though. And <laughs> <laughs> a desktop coming Friday. Yeah. Yep. Binge mode, Star Wars going full steam. because yep. Kuznetsio, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, we're getting to Tim Robbins in one second. First, if you're like most millennials, you know you should be investing. You're not sure where to start. Getting your money right doesn't have to be hard. SoFi Invest makes it easy. It's the first investing platform to offer stocks, automated investing, and crypto all in one. And with SoFi's stock bits, you can buy a piece of your favorite brand stock with as little as a dollar. Listeners who fund their account at SoFi.com slash BS will receive $25 in mystery stock. Yeah, free stock just for signing up. Here's how it works. Go to SoFi.com slash BS, create an account. Choose either do-it-yourself or let SoFi's automated investing build your portfolio and use stock bits to buy fractional shares of your favorite stocks. Get started with as little as a dollar. Again, listeners who fund their account at SoFi.com slash BS will receive $25 of mystery stock just for signing up. SoFi Lending Core, CFL number 6054612. Also, since we're here, Square, they make that little white reader that lets anyone take credit cards, but running and growing business takes so much more than payments. That's why Square built so many tools that can help point of sale software, invoices you can send from your phone, easy to build websites, access to business loans. Their payments are the best in business. No complicated contracts or weird freeze. You can always get your money fast, even instantly. And the best part, all these tools are in one place. They're all built to work together. Whether you sell stuff on Instagram, whether you own a restaurant or a retail boutique, whether you're Fernando, the barber, the guy who cuts Kyle's hair. Kyle, you need a haircut, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I know. Get over Before there. And Puerto pay Rico, f- got to get it done. Get over there. Pay Fernando with, with Square. See all the ways Square can take your business from Square One to whatever's next at square.com slash go slash BS loans, subject to credit approval. And issued by a Celtic Bank Member FDIC. All right, here he is, Tim Robbins. All right, the tallest actor ever to win an Oscar. Tim there Robbins. you go. It's pretty good, right? Well, are you worried somebody's going to break your record? Kevin Garnett's in Uncut Gems. He might take it. Or Shaq playing Hamlet. <laughs> that could happen. <laughs> if KG gets nominated for Uncut Gems, you might be in trouble. You think so? Six foot five. Like, who are the who are the five tallest actors? You and Clint Eastwood, who are the other three?
2: Uh well, um, Jimmy Stewart was pretty tall. Yeah. Um uh oh, yeah, they're not a lot of tall actors. A lot Costner's of, like a solid 6'1. Six, 6'1, one. Six, one, yeah. Um James Cromwell, he's six seven. James, he's he's taller than me. He's 6'7"? He seven. If he wins an Oscar, he, he will he will take the, the throne away from me. Do you think because a lot of actors are short? Do you think that's an
0: issue sometimes with movies where they're like he's just too Tim's just too taller than this other guy? We were thinking could be, could be. It or depends they have to on just
2: shoot it. Depends on the security or or lack thereof of the lead actor. You know, <laughs> but for example, Tom Cruise didn't have a problem with it. You know, now when I was doing uh, uh, War of the Worlds with him, and we even had to get into a death match together, and you know, well he had to win. But, right, he had to win that one. But no, there's uh, certain people just don't have that insecurity. One of my best friends is uh, not particularly tall and never comes up. Any hoops for you ever or no? I, you know, around hoop season, I was always playing hockey. Um, oh,
0: yeah, you're a hockey
2: guy. Yeah, so growing up in New York City, I, w- I played a lot of roller hockey. Um, wow. And uh, and a little bit of ice hockey. The, the ice time was really hard to come by. You know, you'd have to get up at four in the morning. Yeah. At six that's the still morning. the case
0: by the way in yeah, all areas of uh, the united states
2: and then there's the like the midnight leagues you know right. where you're playing a, <laughs> you're playing a game at one in the morning and getting home three four and you're still hyped up from the game and it's just not healthy uh, <laughs> my my son was got into hockey like probably like right as he turned six
0: and there's no hockey out here there's two rinks i know and neither of them were anywhere near our house and you hit a point where it's like, all right, is he going to start doing this? And when you start looking at it, it's like, well, that's an hour that way. That's 45 minutes that way. It's five in the morning. It's six in the morning. It's like, yeah. that's not fun. Can you not do this?
2: It's a big commitment. You know, it's that, you know, the parents across America that are doing it, you know, they know. A there's those road trips too. It's, mm. it's tough. You got to get up super early. And also just deal with the whole nature of it as well. The culture of it. It's It's pretty interesting. It can be good. It can be bad. You know, I always found, you know, that it was important to let the kids play and not to do too many drills we we have uh we had a place uh, we still do have a place in the country outside of new york we built a little oversized tennis court with and, and kind of put a curb around it so we could flood it in the winters and had shinny games there for you know 20 30 kids from the neighborhood play all day long get a fire going hot chocolate Nothing better, nothing better in the world, As, especially when you're like the next, like if it's a Friday in your, you're you're doing your sheet of ice. You kind of handheld zamboni that I have. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this is <laughs> basically a hose running into a tee with it, and at the bottom of the tee is a bunch of holes, that lets out a little bit of water, right? And it's being down there at midnight after having shoveled it. And you got a little scotch. A uh, fire going, yeah, and you're doing your slow move zamboni, so that in the morning you have this black ice. It's just the best. The so best it stuff. was a homemade zamboni, or like you got this? No, as- it's actually you can order them, and uh, I found it in a catalog. It's Mini zamboni. Mini zamboni. It's interesting. Like, imagine a tea. Yeah, uh, the tea is the bottom, and there's a whole bunch of holes in the bottom, and then the hose goes into the top. So it's it's like a very primitive zamboni. But it works. Wow. It creates this incredible black eyes. Um, why don't uh,
0: Why don't you get credit for the climactic scene in Top Gun more often? <laughs> you're, you're, we just did a rewatchables about it uh, a few months ago. And you're right there. You're the first guy. High fives. You take over for Goose. Nothing. Yeah. It's been lost in the Tim Robbins history.
2: That's all right. Merlin? How mind. many lines did you have? I don't know, eight. But it was the best job. Because here, check this out. I worked down in San Diego for maybe a week to yeah. start in, somewhere in June or something like that, and I got paid for the entire summer. Every week I wasn't there, I got paid, so I went back to LA, produced a play, acted in it. By the time they had finished down in San Diego, they were doing starting to do the air sequences in full in these like you know machines. Uh, I don't know, yeah. you know what they're called, and um, I worked for a week there. And basically got paid for, this was early in my career, got paid for like 18 weeks Wow! for nothing, for doing nothing. I said, wow, this is, that's a, that's a good way to make a living.
0: Did you, uh, this, you were like available for
2: any part or did you, were you going for another part and didn't get it or what happened? I have no idea. I, it was just. You are just in. Yeah, I was just in. How did Bull Durham happen? Well, it, that was, I think Bull Durham was after that. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. two years after. Bull Durham happened, uh, I was auditioning at the time. I auditioned for that part. I did well. And then I had to go prove myself with Ron Shelton. I had to go throw the ball. Kevin Costner was there and I had to pitch to him, uh, because he didn't want to, you know not want to have people that didn't know how to play baseball. Yeah. And, uh, I was also offered Eight Men Out. You remember that movie?
0: Yeah. That was a good John Both of those Sales, movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you made the right choice.
2: I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Who
0: would you have been in Eight Men Out? Like one of, the, I forget. one of the White Sox? I forget.
2: Yeah, one of the yeah. one of the Black Sox. A Black Sox. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which was a great uh movie and a great script and had a couple friends that were gonna do it. And it was John Sayles just done Madawan, which I loved. And but that this this was something about this script about that Ron Sheldon had written and then meeting him and then uh, playing a little ball with Kevin, and then meeting Susan, and yeah, I, I think I did make the right decision. What Changed happened? My life.
0: What happened with your arm during that during that filming thing?
2: Because you're throwing a lot of pitches. My arm was fine. I, I, yeah. I have pictures of me icing in it. Uh, they, they, you know, they had a trainer, and every time you finished, you, they iced it and did all the th- therapy things they do. You know, I I I didn't realize I had I played third base, so yeah. that was the extent of my arm. But you have to have a pretty good arm. Um, so I didn't know the mechanics, I had to learn the mechanics and you know how to push off and how the power, how power pitching comes from the legs and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, it, it, but it, it was a dream come true. Imagine, you know, you're a kid that always wanted to be a baseball player. And now you're an adult, uh, you're given a uniform and they right. tell you to <laughs> go out on the field and have fun. You know, it's like, that's pretty cool. Cause I he- used to act out. Uh, games, you know, and right. my, we didn't have a television, so I'd listen to New York Mets, Mets games on on the radio, and I put on my you know uniform that I'd gotten for Christmas, and I pretend to be the pitcher, and I you know, act out the entire game, and, and you know, so I, uh, it was you know one of those dreams come true.
0: Costner was here a couple months ago. We were talking about that movie, and he was saying like one of the things he remembered is just like all of a sudden you and Susan Sarandon are falling in love. As you're filming the movie and just like the intensity and just everything about it. Everybody knew they were making a good movie. Your life's changing, her life's changing, and just everything. He said it was like really a memorable
2: experience. It was. It was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful time. And I I can still smell that air, the tobacco in the air. Were you filming that? Like North Carolina? Durham, Durham, North Carolina. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you know that it had a chance to go down as like... Kind of the baseball movie because some people think there's like some people in the natural camp there's there's people in the bull Durham camp there's people in the major league camp, but bull Durham I think is the consensus probably has the most votes the baseball uh, movie I,
2: I really enjoy hearing that and i yeah. I, I I believe I believe uh, so too yeah look come on the writing of that film is so amazing you know when I first read that script, you know the Church of baseball and you know all the all Annie's rants about you know Walt Whitman and the connection between what it is to be free and baseball, all these great metaphorical things that only a baseball player and a person that's interested in writing would, would, would conceive. Ron Shelton, you know, was a minor league player. Right. So he really knew the world and loved the world, you know, with respect for the world. And so uh, we knew her we in good hands for a number of reasons. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the insight he had in the script uh, no one knew who, whether he could direct or not. This is his first directing gig. But I was sold the second day of dailies. Uh, we're watching actual dailies in a hotel, which is what they used to do. And I hear this commotion behind me, and I see Ron Shelton holding one of the producers up by his the lapels, up up on a wall, off the off the off the floor, saying, "If you ever talk to my actor." again i will fucking kill you oh my god yeah. <laughs> i was like kevin looks at me and he goes kujo <laughs> so that became our nickname for ron oh uh, wow he basically was saying in this in his second day of work as a professional director i'm gonna make my movie or you're gonna fire me which i i still remember as you know that's gutsy yeah. It's uh, it's the work of someone that is not going to be messed around with. And he's setting down the ground rules right from the start. It's something I, I learned from Ron, that, you know, you have to, if you're going to be the leader of something, you you, you got to let them let you drive. Uh, it doesn't help to have uh, eight drivers in a car. It just doesn't.
0: Also, three really richly drawn out characters that I wonder now we're thirty one years later. I think thirty years, thirty one. If that's just like a Netflix show now, or like a seven episode HBO show, or if they even think that's a that Bull Durham is a movie, would they
2: try? Oh, to we make wouldn't it? be able to get Bull Durham yeah. done.
0: It would have to be a TV
2: series, right? It probably wouldn't be.
0: You know, be like Apple TV would be like, "Hey, we're doing this minor league baseball show," Doubtful. and it just would
2: be different. Doubtful they would even do it, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah but that's the good news is we got it done. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Different era. (laughs) We all got paid. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm really happy. So proud to be part of that film. That was, you know, it's, this is the thing, um, in the long run, what you want is something that can still be seen. Right. Yeah. And Durham can still be seen and appreciated. There's movies that fade away fast. And oftentimes those are the movies that are advertised a lot and, uh, become these, uh, hits while they're out, you know, make a hundred million dollars, but they just don't stand the test of time. And ultimately at the end of the day, I'd much rather have Bull Durham's in there than, you know, something that was the, I don't know what beat the, beat Bull Durham at the box office at the time, but I'm pretty sure it's not still around. Well, what's crazy is
0: it, there's a timelessness to it. There's no cell phones, obviously <laughs> there's no internet. not sure it matters no because when you watch it it's it's still i don't feel like we're in 1988 necessarily like some of the hairdos maybe but for the most part it's mostly a movie that could be made now it would have all the same beats
2: yeah minor
0: league baseball certainly hasn't changed it's still in the same rinky-dink towns and weird parts of america so that part's not any different the whole concept of crash davis like that still exists over and over again there's a crash davis you Always read about the real life Crash Davis, all that stuff. And then, you know, what happens with Nuke with the meteoric rise, and you know he's just kind of passing through town before he gets to the majors. So, yeah. all themes that still exist. Right. Before he blows his arm out. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> when do you think he blew his arm out? I don't know. I'm thinking about four or five seasons in Tommy John surgery. They converted him to a closer. Doesn't quite work. Doesn't work out. Yeah. Uh, he retires. He's at trade shows doing autographs. and—, <laughs> right. and, and and then uh, someone, uh, then he meets Jim Bouton. Right. And Jim Bouton teaches him how to throw a knuckleball, and he makes this great comeback. That was my idea for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> would you have done a sequel? Hell yeah. I think I'm a little too old now. But uh, when I was 40 or 45, you I thought have, that would have been a good sequel. You've had more than enough juice to do the sequel. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, like,
0: washed semi washed up nuke, making one last run at it.
2: <laughs> 60 <laughs> years old, <laughs> throwing the knuckleball. Um, no, you yeah, actually got to know Jim Bowden, uh, who, yeah, who passed recently. Um, what a lovely man, what a great, great guy! He he showed me how to throw a knuckleball thing. for
0: the audience, the young ones out there. Jim, Jim Bowden, Bowden writes the first great baseball, like behind the scenes baseball book, before incredible, book. and nobody had ever kind of. Peek behind the curtain in a book like that. Right. Who he played for a
2: team. Completely de-romanticized the, <laughs> the whole idea of the glory of Mickey Mantle, for example.
0: I haven't read that book in a while. I imagine it, it reads super tame now. I imagine
2: right? too. I don't know. I did read his recent book uh, that he wrote about this minor league. Uh, uh, all, all, you know, he started a league of... Uh, Baseball, a baseball league of like original baseball team, you know, the like, yeah. using the original ball, the no gloves, uh, like, oh, I like those, like leagues. the baseball no glo- the from no like gloves. 1890s, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and he wrote a book about, uh, actually environmental pollution in, 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 in New England. Um, I, I'm curious to, to return to ball four. I, it's, uh, I remember reading as a teenager and just being, they're just giddily in love with it you know
0: i remember the same thing with the bronx zoo when Sparky lao wrote that one and he had the reggie jackson thurman munson stories and oh it was like god. oh my god these guys didn't like each other like, yeah. they just had no idea <laughs> yeah oh, they, well, they had to be separated in the clubhouse yeah people sitting on birthday cakes and all that stuff yeah
2: yeah but it's good that you have that perspective that this bolt bolt All four was the first. Yeah. It was the one that was like, there's so many people got so offended by that book when it came out. It was How you like broke the veil of the silence, you know? You you, you can't talk about that kind of stuff, you know? It was a different way
0: they were unveiled too because they were like, I remember Bronx Zoo had an excerpt maybe in like Sport Magazine and it was just like a piece of it. And it was like about different Reggie Jackson's a dick also. It was like, oh my God, when's this book come out? (laughs) I think it would be really hard to build anticipation for a book like that. Like they would just release it sooner, or it would just come out right away, oh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Back then, it was like, "What's this going to be? Is this going to be like a nuclear bomb, or the Yankees going to be the same?" Nobody knew it was in the book.
2: Yeah. Now it's different. Yeah, it's you know, some some. It's just like life. You know, there there are great people and there are assholes. You know, it's like, <laughs> same on any sport team. Yeah, I'm sure movies, same thing. Same thing. There's <laughs> so, so, Did yeah. you
0: ever think about writing a book?
2: I actually am. I've started to. I'm writing a memoir. Really? Yeah. Look yeah. at you. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I just You've been c- known to have some thoughts about some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, it will all come out in the book. I've been, yeah, there's a lot of things that I, you know, still formulating how to say, but you know, things that been brewing for years about the way I feel about certain things. Well, you I mean, you have some unique relationships with certain experiences, right? Like, you become famous overnight. Not really.
0: Bull Durham, though.
2: Yeah, but I had been going for 10 years at that time. Yeah, but
0: that movie was like a phenomenon. Yeah,
2: for sure. It was great. I mean, I'm not saying that. But but yeah, I don't know about overnight success. I guess you were
0: saying elsewhere when you did the arc on that. I remember that was a big deal. But I didn't know who you were. I just knew you from... What were you like a terrorist or
2: something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was the first three uh, St. first. Yeah, and I was just the reason I got that part was because, well, it was the first audition that really clicked for me because I had such a bad attitude, and uh, I guess it kind of translated into them thinking that I'd be a good terrorist. Oh, but, like you're too difficult or something? Just I didn't, you know, it's like you know, young, brash, punk rocker. Yeah, going to auditions for what you know, Golden Girls. I'm like, no, like you know, <laughs> Golden Girls. <laughs> No, it's not me. <laughs> Playing the
0: grandson yeah. he has got an attitude.
2: <laughs> and so it didn't work out for the first year and a half that I was going on auditions. And then something about this clicked. And then I realized, oh, my God, this is pretty good money. And uh, I can produce theater out of this. I had a young theater company at the time called The Actors Gang that we had formed at UCLA. And I uh, had produced the first play on delivery of pizzas in Beverly Hills, Jacopo's and... uh you know it's good tips, but you know I realized St. Elsewhere was a better paycheck, so right I got my act together, got a better attitude, started working more, started producing more theater. Well, you talk about how some movies just don't die
0: and just keep going and going, and then other movies are, are a huge success, and then they don't have that same kind of they don't keep going for thirty years. I feel like the player was like that because mm. the player was such a huge thing when it came out. And I felt like that was one of the defining movies of that year in a lot of different ways, and especially because Altman was a little bit older at that point. It was his comeback. And it was like a very, very L.A. movie about people in L.A., which people out here love, but I didn't know that. I was living in Boston. Yeah. Um, But it brought me into this whole world that I just didn't know. Yeah. And it's weird that that movie hasn't – You know, it's like that movie I never see on TV and I I don't totally understand it.
2: Sometimes it's who owns it and how, what deals they've made and who, you know, this is a new thing that we're going to have to deal with. Like who decides what is in rotation? Yeah. And it's something I think we have to talk about, you know, like I'm frustrated that Bob Roberts isn't out there more. I think that movie is so relevant to to now. Uh, but you, you, you can find it, you know, you can find anything if you do a deep dive, but it's what is presented on their menus that, you know, here's what we want you to watch. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think, but I, when people rediscovered it, the players got legs, it's, it's, uh, it's a really good film. It's,
0: it's a, I would say a top 10 LA movie. Hmm. It's definitely a top five behind the scenes, Hollywood movie. And
2: I mean, Altman Genius. So what what do you remember all these years later about him? Oh, I just loved him so much. Um, God, I miss him. Uh, Everybody who works with him seems like they're just, like, revered him. i tell you something. Uh, First time I met him, I was so nervous because, you know, I saw Nashville when I was in high school, and that was the first movie I saw that made me think, oh, my God, movies. I was a theater guy. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, this there's stories to be told. And the way that he told stories uh, was so fresh and innovative. And so when I got to meet him, I was, I, you know, I said to my agent, you know, what do we, is it an audition? What, what are the sides? What, what am I supposed to say? He said, no, 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 he just wants to meet you. And I, so I drive to this place uh, that he was living in, in, in Malibu. And it's basically his house and his, his family and a couple of staff members. It's basically for lunch. And he just wanted to talk. And uh, one of the reasons he he wanted me to be in his film was because of the theater work I was doing. He he really appreciated the the what he read about, and um, he asked me to do this film. And I was you know at the time, uh, I think Jacob's Ladder had just came out. I was broke, I had a baby, uh, and I was you know anxious. And I got offered this a million dollars to do this shitty comedy and i really didn't want to do it but i had to do it you know and i'm just laying in my ho- belt, uh, hotel room and uh, I, ca- I talked to my agent i said listen uh, what's the chance of the player happening i don't know they don't have the financing for it yet I said, really but it would happen when like in a couple months uh yeah and this thing's going right now and it would conflict this million dollar offer and i just said fuck it i can't i can't do it i can't i can't do this can't do this shitty comedy. I'm going to wait with the faith that the player will happen. Right? What I didn't know is, in the course of that long wait over a couple months, Altman had was offered uh, the money to do it with another actor. Oh, and he stayed faithful. Really? Yeah. He said, oh, "No, I'm going to do it with this kid." I talked to him, you know, and I, I told him I want him to do it. So I, made, I gave him my word, and so we're going to do it with him. So he waited for me. To be acceptable to them, and you turned down a million dollar comedy yeah. that probably Shitty. disappeared after five, five <laughs> years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But here's here's what happened. You know, being allowed into this world, uh, basically, Altman told me to come out to pre- for pre-production. He said, "We're going to rewrite this. Uh, we're going to sit down. We're going to hash this out." So I got to sit at the feet of a master. Yeah, uh, I got to I got to observe everything about directing from him. Uh, and that was really, uh, So you're like
0: going to grad school almost. Exactly. Or... It
2: was my film school and it was right before I directed my first film too. I did, uh, the player in the, in the spring and in the fall, I was directing Bob Roberts. Right. And, um, you know, one of the greatest things I learned from him was humility. Um, this was a genius. This was what you could call an auteur, uh, an artist, and I'd be in the office with him, and you know, department heads would come in, the prop guy, the costume person. And they'd say, you know, Bob we, uh, got a question, this and this and this and this. If they if they went on at all, he'd say, cut to the verb, and they they get to what they were talking wanted to talk about without all the niceties. And he would say, I don't know. What do you think? And what I realized is that yeah, he did know the answer to these various questions about props and costumes, but he wanted them to be contributors and he wanted them to feel valued as contributors. And then at one point he says to me, why would I cheat myself out of them perhaps maybe having a better idea? Why would I cheat myself out of that? And I I came to understand that the directing is really, uh, being able to yes, be the, the, the captain, but also allow your, uh, crew members to do their jobs and also, to be able to live in the unknown. Yeah. That you maybe don't know everything. And that, isn't it great that there's all these creative people around that can provide answers to those questions? And that's what the actors responded. To. Usually that, that's why that, actors loved him so much.
0: Usually that philosophy works for, you see, with comedies. Like Adam McKay directs that way when he does his movies. He relies a lot on the ad-libbing and... Lading rope, but usually you don't see that as much in dramas. Yeah. Well, PTA. Uh, has
2: PTA that is too. another one. That does yeah. that? Yeah. Because he
0: came through through that school as well. I would say Altman was probably the best possible person to spend a few weeks with. Oh my god! Because if you if you'd spent like five weeks with Stanley
2: Kubrick, I, I don't know how much that would have helped you. You'd be like, <laughs> What's going on with that guy? <laughs> yeah, I, I. That's the yeah. It was almost the opposite, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I did three movies with him, uh, and uh, you know I. I wish that I could have done more. So the player comes out, and you're in L.A. First, we're in Cannes, and it's at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, and it's a huge hit. And I'm I'm at the Cannes Film. Kill- you won, right? I won Best Actor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at the same time, I also am presenting uh, at the Cannes Film Festival my first film, Bob Roberts, which is getting oh, a whole wow. bunch of attention there and got a distri- distribution out of there. So yeah, I was. Uh, this is two days after my second son was born i got on a plane to go to camp and i just said to susan i you know what if if this baby doesn't come i'm not going to camp so second i said that the baby was born and thank god but uh yeah it was a heady time it was uh you know i remember you know being there with both films and you know it was i was so happy to be there with bob because it was his return yeah uh he had been out of uh you know for a while yeah he was kind of still doing films, you know, out of New York and doing filming plays, and you know, he's still creating, but wasn't you know in favor in Hollywood.
0: Were people in L A like
2: the like the agent community?
0: Hey, that wasn't about me, right? Or uh, hey, that, that. was there a actually, lot of
2: that? I actually uh, was in a couple of agents' offices, yeah, uh, to study uh, this role. So I oh I sat with a couple, uh, well actually let me correct myself not agents executives studio executives i sat and listened to all their phone calls for like four hours five hours straight just uh, to get a feel just to get a feel of all the bullshit and uh i was really grateful to those executives who shall remain nameless <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but all that was funny because in can when it was this huge success i remember him turning to me and he goes hmm Ah, uh, success. The success, you know, we, we must have fucked up because, you know, we we were probably too nice to them. This is an accident, yeah. <laughs> we were too nice to them. I. You know, it was success. I, mean, I don't trust it. <laughs> Why do you
0: think Bob Roberts, if somebody watched it in 2019, I mean, I know the answer, but I want to hear from you. Why do you think people would be um, so struck by some of the things that it...
2: Right-wing... Successful businessman running for the Senate, also a big fan of beauty pageants, uh, you know, comes out of entertainment. I don't know. So you're saying there might be a couple of parallels? Well, a couple of parallels.
0: <laughs> it's weird that, that it's not on TV, especially like during an election cycle. Yeah. You would think that would be popping on. Yeah. I think same thing for like Bulworth and all from the your mouth comedies. to
2: God's ears. Get on it, cable distributors. God being the cable distributors. (laughs) Let's take a break. Talk about
0: ZipRecruiter. Finding key players for your team can be challenging. Just think about Shawshank. What would have happened if they didn't find key players like Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman? God only knows what would happen. Think about all the sports teams that if one trade had gone differently the whole thing would have, would have gone down like a house of cards. Think about the Warriors if they had traded Clay Thompson for Kevin Love a few years back. Did they win three titles? Who knows? Caffeo Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz could relate. He needed to hire a director of coffee. He posted his job at ZipRecruiter. He found the best person for the role in just a few days. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. I don't know how many times I have to tell you, dude, dot ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. You talked about the rewatchability and how some things go and some things don't and how people who knows who's controlling it. Shawshank's the best example of that, right? Yeah. Turner buys it from, or merges with Castle Rock or whatever happened. And they just get Shawshank forever, basically. And they're just putting it on TBS and TNT for four straight years. Yeah. I mean, I was in the group of people who remember where they saw it, what theater, yeah, um, the whole thing. I remember my, we did a rewatchables about it a few months ago and I had my dad on it because he was the one who called me and was like, go see this Shawshank movie. And I'm like, really? The one with the weird title? It's like, just go, just go to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I took my girlfriend and we were just sitting in the car after like in a coma. Oh, wow. But the rewatchability of that movie was what made it because it didn't. Yeah, did okay. You had to re-release it. The Oscars helped, but it didn't really become Shawshank for a couple of years. It feels
2: like it took a while until uh, yeah. people found it. And you know that was a great experience to go through because it taught me, you know, which I'd already been through by the way with Jacob's Ladder, which I knew that was a great. I knew it was a great film. That's a good movie. It didn't have the audience when it came out. It just was the wrong time for it. Yeah. Um, it taught that taught me not to. Judge a movie based on its first weekend box office. It's, it's irrelevant in the long run. Uh, it might make more money, but it, it doesn't mean the movie's great. So, yeah, Shawshank was is is been, is kind of the gift that keeps giving. You know, when Turner did that, it, he sold it to himself. Yeah, uh, for the lowest rate. Probably a little bit illegal, right? I mean, I'm it probably much, hurt your hurt your residuals a little bit. Uh, yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, but I don't. I don't stress about that. You know, I've had even lawyers you know come up to me. Do you want to sue them? I was like, no. I Shawshank is what it is, you know? Yeah. I, it it's uh it and it has this indelible um lasting reputation and I I I I I feel that that's really the point of it. I, I you know, the fact that he the Turner did that actually created the space for people to see the, the film, whereas if if he hadn't, perhaps maybe we wouldn't be talking about it today. So, uh, I'm I love the idea that it it has such a, a wide reach and across all kinds of cultural barriers, political barriers. You know, I was in China. You know, I flew two hours out of Beijing uh, into the countryside, then drove another three hours to our, where, the location where we were going to film. And people there knew Shawshank. Seriously? Yeah. I, I was like, wow, this movie is really, you know. Well, it's
0: another one that's even more time to the Bull Durham because it's actually set in the 1950s. So it could just go on 50s and 60s. It could just go on for, you know, ever because it's trapped in this little area. I did, when we did the podcast about it, I did a lot of research about it. It's always tough to tell what's true and not true. But it did seem like, It wasn't like the happiest filming. Which one? Just Shawshank. Like the actual, like it was a little bit acrimonious.
2: Not not acrimonious. It's more that it took a long time. A lot of takes. Uh, A lot of takes. uh, And there was, you know, I loved uh, Morgan and Clancy Brown and uh, Roger Deakins on that film. And, you know, a lot of the actors would get together.
0: And you're all stuck on a prison
2: yeah yeah you know in ohio and uh and yeah no we made it work it's 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 just you know i think what was if there was any struggle on that film it was that it was because everyone loved the script so much yeah that frank darabont had written i mean it was a genius script and so when you are part of something like that you kind of want to protect that what that feeling was that you had when you read that script. Yeah. And if it's straying from that at all, because you care so much about it, you you want to put your foot down. And that's not very often that you do that as a, as a actor, at least for me, in my yeah. experience, because, you know, generally you either are going with the flow of it or you don't care. And that's the worst part. I, definitely.
0: I think it has one of the great, Decisions to delete a scene ever because I remember a showtime a couple of years later when he's chiseling through the wall which you don't see until after he escapes mm-hmm. initially he's chiseling through the wall and the thing comes out and he kind of whatever and that yeah. was in there in the structure of the film so from that point on you know he you know he's thinking about getting through the wall and he takes that out and but he makes it a flashback instead yeah, yeah. so when he actually escapes I remember being in the theater thinking, like, he killed himself or, you know, you, you don't think the escape part. You're just thinking the worst. You're thinking the way Red's thinking. Right. And it's this red herring that, oh, no, he actually escaped. Yeah. And if that's not in there, it's a totally different movie. It's a totally different experience. Now yeah. we've seen it a million times. You know he's going to escape. But that first time I was like, oh, my God, he got out
2: yeah well, that was the play that we what he's saying goodbye to his friends, so the emotion that he has when he's saying the final things to red are you know steeped in that sadness, yeah, but it's also a sadness that we we kind of wanted the audience to maybe believe that the sadness was going to lead to a suicide,
0: and they cut out he cuts out some stuff with after Morgan Freeman gets out about him adjusting to
2: the yeah. new life that actually like it just, yeah.
0: cause at that point you just want to get to the, to the hug in Mexico. And then that was the other thing I learned that they, that and the hug wasn't initially in there and they didn't want to have that. And there was like a whole bunch of couple different endings filmed and they settled on him actually being on the beach, red, Andy and red and that whole thing. But I mean, you need some luck when you make a movie, but it seems like every decision worked out.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, what happens to those guys after, in your opinion? Uh, they're on the boat. Red gets checked into Andy's hotel.
2: What do the next ten years look like? I, they run a business, have fun, you know, live free or you think, die. Think Red's like the manager of the hotel. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I, you know, they're, they're, of course, the absurd version of that is like, you know, the, the, someone was like, "What's the sequel?" And I'm like, uh, you know, Andy and Red, girls gone wild, Zlatanija. <laughs> Wouldn't that just kill everything you hold sacred about Shawshank Redemption?
0: I always thought, <laughs> I can't believe you guys haven't done a Super Bowl
2: commercial where you're
0: on well, the beach I now.
2: You wouldn't do it? I wouldn't do it. I would, I've would i been offered uh, stuff like that. You've never done To go Not off of back. Shawshank. Would never, ever do anything to denigrate or, you know, uh, exploit uh, that movie. I think it means too much to people so then you go and do dead man walking next year yeah which was a trip uh intense yeah another prison story and, and this was a you know I was while I was doing Shawshank Redemption I was writing Cradle Rock and I wanted that to be my follow-up film to Bob Roberts and then Susan found this incredible book by Sister Helen Prejean and uh wanted us to do that and uh i read the book and I, I i put the other one on hold and wrote the screenplay for dead man walking pretty quickly uh and you know i think i had the first draft in september and we were filming by uh january february it's very quick happened very quick
0: what do you remember about the whole oscar stretch for shawshank and dead man Walking, and that whole process was that did they step? was that in motion back then where you like it is now, like now when you're trying to get a movie nominated or whatever, you got to do the podcast circuit and I think you got to do late night lap,
2: shows. You got to do lap dances. Now. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you you kind of do though. Get it out there. I'm not even sure if it works, but that seems to be the I don't the think it
2: does. And I think it's gross. And I think it denigrates everything. it denigrates the creative people. It, it denigrates the business. I, I, I It's like a two month, three month lap dance, really. And, uh, I like it because I I get to talk to people like you on the
0: podcast, but if this is a different kind of podcast than the yeah five minute like
2: five questions and then you move on to the well listen question. I'm happy to do that I'm always happy to talk to people because you know part of what we do we want people to know about you know I want people to know about this movie I've done called Dark Waters I want people right. to go see it that's all been part of the business forever and what I'm talking about is the extracurricular kind of things the oh the parties, B- Oh, yeah the, yeah yeah the you know the People, the meet and greets, the you know, you gotta be at this place you don't want to be and shake hands because it could lead to a nomination kind of thing, and that's you know, I I don't I don't know I just find that I I was really blessed to not never really have to do that. Um, for Mystic River, I was working on a play called Embedded at the time in New York, and I didn't have to go to, I couldn't go to all those uh, those parties and events that people throw. And I won anyway, so you know, I I. Oh, you I, didn't you didn't do any lobbying at all? No, no, I didn't. What made you click with Sean? What Sean made Penn. me click with Sean? Yeah,
0: I had him on the pod. I think like maybe two months ago. I liked him. I mean, he's intense, but he's got there's like a sense of humor underneath. I I don't know. I like. Oh yeah, I like talking to. Him. Oh
2: yeah. He's an incredibly talented actor. He's a great person. Uh, I, I, I knew him early on. He uh, Around the time I did a, a film called Five Corners, uh, I, I talked to him for the first time. He asked me to do a movie for him. I couldn't at the time. And then when I was uh, writing Dead Man Walking, when I finished my first draft, I thought about who would be the ideal to play him, uh, this part, and I thought of of Sean, but I had just read, he had just done an interview saying that he was quitting acting. And and so I, I kind of, when I read that, I, my feeling wasn't that he was quitting acting. He was, I think what I got out of it, he was quitting reading bad scripts, uh, which I can definitely understand, uh, you know, because that can be very frustrating. Uh, Anyway, I sent him the script, went and met with him, and he agreed to do it. And uh, he was great. And both he and and Susan are amazing in that film. And the chemistry between them, and the uh, the depths that they uh, of emotion that they play, and uh, I just I feel like they they really found the love story in that that movie, and uh, the unlikely path to redemption for this. Kind of contemptible human being, Kyle. Can you imagine me directing my wife in a
0: movie? Kyle, no, his her no, nephew. Definitely not. It would be tough, right? She would okay, get mad. Of, you mad, mad at least five. Dinner or yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting wrinkle to
2: the marriage, like directing your wife in a movie for two months. Yeah, yeah. It was. It worked out pretty well, though. Yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah. She won an Oscar for it, and uh, Sean was nominated, and I was nominated for director. What do you think? Um, of
0: all the movies you made, what's the one that you're kind of annoyed wasn't appreciated the way you thought it should have been?
2: You know, Altman, I asked him this question. He says, you know, the one I love the one I love the most is the one that people it's like my kids. The one I love the most are the ones that aren't paid attention to. Right. And so What uh, was his answer then? I think he loved Brewster McLeod. Really? <laughs> um the uh i can't say that 100 percent, which was was the answer but because i think he had appreciation for you know other things that were ignored and he went through quite a few of those yeah for me it's cradle will rock a film i made in 1999 it's an epic uh film set in the 30s about art and the uh what artists do to survive and uh what it is to state an opinion in a in a free society and what the ramifications are for that sometimes it's a you know a sprawling film a huge film and uh disney dumped it when it when it came out they hated it it was made uh through the good graces of a guy named joe roth yeah i remember um yeah big uh, big studio head yeah he was the head of uh, uh disney he had seen dead man walking he had Told me how much he loved it. He said, This, he also said, it's very rare for a second film to be that good. And I, I, I know you're a good filmmaker. And so I want to know what your new idea is. And I gave him the script. And it was like one of those, you know, old time stories. You know, you walk in an office, the guy says, How much you need? And yeah, all right, yeah, kid, go ahead. The keys are yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go make your movie. And um, so, uh, it was a kind of miraculous that the movie got made in in the first place. But then Joe left his job before it came out.
0: Oh, and then the new person and, comes and so the in. The new they person don't care. came in, and whatever oh, happened. Man. But
2: I, I, you know, what happened was it had a contractual obligation to be released in a hundred theaters. So what they did was they dumped it. They put it in a hundred theaters for a day. That's all they needed to do. And didn't even invite critics, and I, you know, I did the research. I went around. No advertisements for various. Oh, that's markets. so frustrating!
0: I never saw it. i it yeah, well, came that's away. why you didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then I found out, you know, it wasn't it wasn't released internationally in English markets. This had a cast with, you know, uh, John Cusack, Joan Cusack, Bill Murray, Susan Sarandon. Oh my um, God! Um, Ruben Blades, uh, Carrie Elwes. was. Uh, Emily Watson um Jesus just a, you know John Turturro a great cast and wasn't released in Australia figure that out on DVD or video cassette so. so uh yeah that's the film i would really encourage people to find and even if you have to find it illegally and down, I, I just go ahead and do it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> don't pay for it just <laughs> steal it somewhere that's crazy steal this know movie
0: <laughs> you You and uh, your wife at the time, you started to take shit for being political. And now you think like 2019, it seems like that has certainly changed with
2: celebrities. Has it? I think it
0: has. I think a lot more people are outspoken than it was
2: when you guys were doing it. It's easy to say something negative about what's happening right now. Yeah. For sure. Uh, And I'm glad people are talking about it. I wish that... The stakes are lower. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, where it matters is when people are going to start dying. That's very clear in my mind. When the people, the powers that be, are starting to cook up a war somewhere, or they're intervening in other people's conflicts and trying to create a war somewhere because of our business interests, that's when it's important to have freedom of speech. That's when it, it's important to use it. And the last big time that happened in the early 2000s, when we went into Iraq. You were very outspoken. I was, but you know how many people weren't. I mean, it was just basically me, Susan, Sean Penn, and Michael Moore. That was about it. You know, Not a lot of people came out. And I knew a lot of these people were against that war and would come up to me privately and say, oh, thank you for speaking out against it." I'm like, why are you whispering? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a voice. You you have a right to speak out about this stuff. The more people that speak out about it, the less chances is going to happen. Then we see in the, you know, two weeks before the actual war begins, a massive movement across the world. Millions of people coming out on the streets in 500 cities protesting on the same day against a war that had not yet happened. That has never happened in human history before. And so I knew there was a huge movement. And I knew beyond that, I knew that we were being uh, demonized for speaking out against it. And why? Because they didn't have the truth on their side. And they had to intimidate people into silence. And they were very, very effective in doing that. Not only people like me, celebrities that have access to a microphone, but even more scarily, people in the press whose job it is to ask these questions, people yeah. in the major press, New York Times, NBC, CBS, ABC, no one standing in the way of this deception that led to this war, that led to million people dying in Iraq, a refugee crisis that we're still dealing with now, yeah. a destabilization in that region that we're still dealing with right now. Huge, 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 huge mistakes made, right? Guess what? Did we get any uh, you know, apologies for being right? Right. Did anyone ever apologize? Did ever, anyone ever say, you know, sorry, we called you a traitor? Uh did not anyone-
0: they, they were calling you a traitor? I don't remember Oh, that
2: yeah. No, and worse. This is a long time so ago. Saddam supporter, terrorist supporter. Oh, my God. Because they wanted to intimidate other people into silence, and they were very effective in doing that. Yeah. People in my profession that, that I knew personally There were progressive people that were silent out of self-interest, career survival. You shut up, you'll, you'll last a lot longer Right when it mattered most. Right. Which kind of colored my, the way I look at, you know, when people say that (laughs) Hollywood's a liberal place. Well, it's not liberal when it has to be. And so a recent incident of that is yeah. you look at Chile right now. It's yeah. on fire with democracy. These people are, you know, they had 10,000 people, 20,000 people come out against a subway fare hike. The 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 government responds with the military. Kills a couple protesters. 2 days, no, 3 days later there's a million people on the streets protesting in Santiago. And we had just been down there in January and done a play down there. The Actors Gang had done our uh, play called New, New Colossus down there. Yeah. Holy cow, those people are on fire. They're just, you know, they, they're really incredible culture, an incredible culture. One of the things that they do are doing right now, they have these protests where they block um, streets and they have this chant and they're, they're playing music and they're dancing and they're saying, the chant is, if you dance, you can pass. If you dance, you can pass. So drivers, if they come up and they need to get through, they have to get out of their car or their truck and <laughs> dance, and then the people let them through. And this is the spirit of this country. But you're not seeing anything about this in the press here. It's not being reported at all. There's revolutions happening all over South America that you're not reading about. That, that of people that are the indigenous people whose power was stolen from them, being kicked out of the legislature in Bolivia by a right-wing coup. We're not reading any of this. So for me, you know, I, when people say, you know, liberal Hollywood, I just, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I don't see it. I just, or, or maybe that is liberal Hollywood and maybe I'm not a liberal. Maybe I'm. Do you feel like it hurt, hurt you from a
0: career standpoint at all in the mid 2000s? Did you become like too hot to cast or anything?
2: You see, I can't answer I that question. I don't remember. I don't remember
0: the chronology of all of it. But. I
2: can't answer that question definitively that because I wouldn't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are not things that people wear on their sleeve. You know, I I proudly, you know, said that Tim Robbins couldn't be in this movie. No one's going to admit to anything like yeah. that. Uh, if there is a blacklist now, it would not be in the same way it was in the past. Uh, yeah. Do I feel, do I live in that space? No, I do not. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of paranoid thinking, that kind of victimized thinking. I am so lucky to be where I am. I am so blessed to have the career that I have, the life that I have. I I can do things creatively with my theater company. I have uh, a blessed career where uh, I I can continue to work in this business and make money. Yeah. Uh, so there's no complaints here. And but the thing is, I get asked that question a lot. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, but has your uh, involvement with various causes affected your career? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I will tell you. I have not I have not starred in a studio movie. Since I won the Oscar. No, yeah. Since 03. Since 03. So like they're making- I've, I've done independent movies. I've done, I've had starring roles in independent movies. But, but they're not making in... like
0: Marvel movie where they need a president. They're not looking for Tim Robbins.
2: Well, yeah. Or maybe I'm not looking to be the president in a Marvel movie too. I mean that's part of the equation here too. Although you got to
0: be a president, Austin Powers. Movie. Well, I
2: definitely do that again. <laughs> Austin Powers One million dollars.
0: Sure. <laughs> uh, how long did you? How long did you have to work on the Boston accent before you felt good about breaking it out, Mister. River?
2: So I grew up in New York City, so I already have part of that. You know, obviously they're not the same.
0: You have that, it's the
2: attitude part that matters. That's the part
0: everybody misses with the Boston accent. It's got to come from, it's 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 from the streets. Yeah.
2: It's from the streets. And so I grew up with that street culture in New York City in the late 60s, early 70s. So all my friends were like, you know, this, you know. So that voice in my head, you know. I can talk like this anytime. Yeah. (laughs) Because I grew up with it. And so Boston's just an adjustment you got to make, you know, which I, uh, and then I did a main accent for this uh, dark, uh, this uh, thing called Castle Rock that I'm in right now. That, oh, the TV show? Yeah. Yeah. That's a main. People main like accent. Castle Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's a good one. Scary Wait, what's a spot? main
0: accent? It's kind of a. I'm from Massachusetts. I don't, I didn't know a there was It's a little bit difference.
2: longer of an A sound. It's uh, slower? A little bit more drawly. Oh. But you got to be careful not to go into Southern but it's got a lot, it's a little longer, longer.
0: Oh, interesting. Boston. Boston. Cause Rhode Island was the one, Rhode Island's like the Boston accent on steroids <laughs> and PDs. Yeah. <laughs> it takes it to 19 other levels, and, <laughs> but you know, there's different variations of South shore, North shore. Like I can usually tell for the most part, Rhode Island stands out. Maine, I, Maine I don't have a lot of familiarity with.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, it's Pepper Charm remembers. that. <laughs> 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 that's the that's the main thing. Tell me about the new movie, uh, Dark Waters. So, um, Todd Haynes, great filmmaker. Yeah, um, you know he's made some amazing films. Uh, I get this script. Uh, Mark Ruffalo's the star. Uh, read it. Um, I'm totally in. It's a story about this lawyer named Rob Bellot, who uh, was a lawyer, a partner in a very conservative cincinnati law firm uh that represented chemical companies and Don't
0: you can't spoil the movie though
2: i'm not going to spoil i have them. a no spoil the movie rule on my podcast i will not spoil the movie you can set up the movie i will set up the movie <laughs> i have been programmed i will not i, I will just not saw a stray. movie called
0: waves that was great and i knew nothing and it was so refreshing to just experience a movie and not know anything but
2: this is good okay so he goes to his law his he's approached by a, a family friend. Yeah. A farmer who's, this is all happening in the first 15 minutes. Great. So, you know, you know, I'm not ruining anything. No. But his farmer has realized that his land has been uh, polluted. And uh, he wants to know why his cows are dying. And he's got videotaped to prove it. And, you know, all these weird sh- things that are happening to the, his cows. And so he goes to this lawyer who works for a law firm that represents chemical companies and asks him to sue a chemical company, DuPont. And uh, I play uh, Mark uh, Ruffalo's boss, and uh, I see the evidence, and I say, yeah, go ahead and sue them, even though it goes completely against the culture of this law firm. And what happens is you, you learn in the course of the movie the extent uh, uh, to which uh, DuPont knew mm. how toxic this chemical was. And uh, didn't matter to them; it was too profitable. And you seem really proud of this one. It's yeah, I am. It it is the chemical that is in Teflon. And uh, if you, I remember, you know, when this happened, I got rid of all my Teflon. I had young kids at the time, and holy shit, we're, we're, you know, we're, yeah, this is poisoning them. Yeah, and you know that what happens is, over the course of the years, you have, you know, Rob Ballot, this lawyer, it took him twenty years, still still working on this. Uh, but he got he had one the most extensive uh, blood sampling done in this local community in West Virginia, sixty thousand subjects in this test, and definitively proved the link between PFOA, this chemical in in Teflon, and eight separate illnesses, uh, including cancers. Jesus and definitive medical evidence, and still. Teflon is uh, Dupont reneges on the original deal they made and is making him sue individually in order to get settlements, and then eventually, after he did this five times, this is now fifteen years in. They eventually made a, a mass settlement, but still, this 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 test, this blood testing they did that proved this connection would be effective for the lives of the subjects, right? So if they get sick later, they're still, DuPont is still liable. Well, guess what happened two weeks ago? The EPA secretly trying this, the New York Times discovers this memo, the EPA is trying to throw out that medical study. And not only that medical study, but other medical studies that have been done in the past 30, 40 years that show a link between pollutants and cancer. So essentially, what the EPA is now saying, the Environmental Protection Agency is now saying, is that you have to go, you have to show me every subject that was in that medical test, and I have to be able to check to see whether that is uh, if that evidence is 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 solid. Now, most of these people in this blood test that Rob Ballot did did it under condition of anonymity, yeah, because they were residents of a town that was basically run by dupont and they didn't want dupont to know that they were participating in the study because they would lose their jobs at dupont so anything that's anonymous in the past now epa is saying you could throw it out this is what's happened to our regulation agencies Jesus. this this is the agency that's supposed to protect our air our water and it's actually doing the opposite It's incredible what's happening right now. Anyway, this movie's a great thriller. It's like, you know, in the tradition of those 70s uh, whistleblower uh, movies uh, All the President's Men, Parallax View. Yeah. 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 You'll love this. Three Days of the Condor. You'll love it. It's really thrilling. Really thrilling. Three Days of the Condor. Great movie.
0: So we're coming to the tail end. So what's, we got to talk about the 86 World Series. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Boston fan.
2: Oh, sorry. In fact, I got to
0: ESPN in 2001. I was writing columns and I was, Comparing being a Red Sox fan to Shawshank and holding on to hope, even though there's no reason you should have hope and all that stuff and the whole thing. But 86, it damn near ruined me. You're, you're a huge Mets fan, huge Rangers fan. Yeah. Are you a Knicks fan or do you did you divorce the Knicks? Uh, they're really hard to follow. They're really, really hard. To Tough one. Follow. So you stayed with the Mets and Rangers? Yeah. 86 World Series, were you there? I was there. You were there? Yeah. I figured you were there. I game don't know Game six,
2: why. I was at a wedding in Los Angeles listening to it on a radio train. <laughs> wow. and game seven, I flew back for, yeah. And there's a rain delay, so you're And I was, by the way, I was at the 1969, October 16th uh, game where the Mets won the World Series. Really? On my birthday. 11th birthday. Holy my shit. My mom had traveled out in, on the subway, the 7 train, uh, like 4 o'clock in the morning to get World Series tickets for my birthday, October 16th just so happened that was game five just so happened out of you know impossible kind of yeah and they take how, care of business in they, game five. five games against yeah. the baltimore orioles you know with frank robinson brooks robinson great, incredible team and somehow we won it and i saw it and I, I was there when they were tearing up the field and you know got some grass and part of the outfield wall on my way home in the subway for someone <laughs>
0: Those are the days when you could win the title and the
2: fans I, could just go on the field and take stuff, <laughs> tear it up. <laughs> it was complete air. ended in the late 70s. And I was at some 11 point. years old and I got to the edge of the field and I look back and my grandmother's like looking at me like, please don't go. I'll never <laughs> see you again. <laughs> so, you know, it was a kind man on the way home on the subway gave me a part of his. So, uh, is Pete boot, Alonso bootie. one of the five most important people in your life? Pete Alonso? No. The Mets? No. no. Right now? 54 homers. Well, yeah, but it's not I, I okay. I've gotten to a place where I can't allow my emotional health be determined by the sports team I'm following. Well, that's <laughs> that's probably smart. <laughs> I've been through too many New York Mets seasons to to um to get too connected to it. It's
0: really it's been really interesting for me because I have a lot of Mets fans in my life and when I was in high school the Mets beat the Red Sox and I was going to school in Connecticut, so I was surrounded mm. by New York fans. Yeah. And I felt like they had one over me for the next however many years of my life, and now it's flipped. And it's been interesting to watch the hope getting beaten out of the Mets fans, really over the last fifteen years, I would say. <laughs> where now it's flipped, where they're kind of where I was in nineteen eighty six, where yeah. it's never going to happen, because uh, it's been thirty three years.
2: I know, and you guys—it's like running. two
0: generations.
2: Yeah, it's we have too somebody. Long. One of the people too that long. runs
0: a ringer with me is a, is a diehard Mets Jets fan who's in his, that's, he's probably like 36, 37. That's a special, so he has no
2: positive memory. Special form of masochism. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. He, he remembers nothing good. I know. For right? decades. I got to see Joe Namath play. Right. I saw the, the 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 playoff game that led to the Super Bowl in Shea Stadium, freezing cold December. I think it was against the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, that's the crazy thing. We
0: have 50 years ago, the Mets and Jets. Incredible, and right? Think, like if you told a Mets, Jets fan now, like, man, you should have seen when. We won titles in the same year. Like what?
2: Yeah. And well, I just did this Castle Rock and I stayed in Boston and got to go to Fenway a few times. Yeah. Oh my god. It still it still has magic. It's a magic. shrine, it's a church. It's, great. it's a Dad beautiful beautiful still... place. Beautiful place. I was so sorry they tore down Shea and Yankee Stadium for that matter. There there's something about those old ballparks that is so special. And Boston is such a great city, you know? It's And I was really happy when the Red Sox won. Thank you. For me, it was, uh, you know, I, I love it anytime a curse has ended. I loved yeah. when the Cubs uh, won. Uh, who's next? Uh, uh, Pretty
0: in- much all the curses are getting crossed off in baseball. Yeah. We have a couple, like the, now we're talking like the Mariners and teams like that. But like the Astros won, the White Sox won,
2: the Cubs won, the Giants won. Like the we're. In- if the Indians won, Indians have not won. Yeah, that, but that, I mean, that, they got to change the logo first. And the then, Cleveland then fans win. were so
0: excited that any team won that I think
2: they're <laughs> riding the Cavs thing for all four, all three teams. But yeah, yeah, the
0: Indians are left. There's there's some good ones, but all the OGs have kind yeah. of taken care of
2: business. Yeah, and and that's you know, and I I got to go to a couple games uh, this summer uh, in in Fenway and. I really enjoyed that team, and then they just kind of they couldn't rise up when they needed to. But yeah, no. yeah, it's got it's got it's got a lot of potential. That you team. know, it's funny the
0: Dodgers are start the Dodgers and the Mets. Where now you're talking about two generations of fans basically that don't remember anything good, or maybe even three. <laughs> but the Dodgers, the '88, Kirk Gibson, but they've probably had the roughest decade of. Any baseball team by far
2: because they get so close. Yeah, and they can seven never straight years it yeah. yeah. just oh yeah. this is
0: the year and then they get kicked in the nuts, which is yeah. the whole Red Sox thing.
2: Yeah, that was that's sad. Yeah, the Red Sox it was like every
0: year. I shouldn't sure talk myself into this. Ah, I'm kind of talking myself into, and then we just get kicked in the teeth. Yeah, yeah. So, I kind Dodgers of feel that way about
2: that. the Rangers. I, you know, they're they're getting close, and it's just not happening. And you know, I was glad though that the uh, the Blues won. They, that year. was a monkey off the
0: back. That title. was a monkey yeah.
2: off the back. Yeah, and I I I know J- John Davidson a little bit, because uh, of the work that he had done at that franchise, and the uh, and then later at the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know. So I think he's working with the Rangers now, and so I hope hope that'll have uh, we'll start to see the effects.
0: Feels of like that. the fumes of the '94
2: Cup can go for another five six years. Nope. No. I need it now. You need it now. I need it now. You know, I dr- I drank from the cup that night. Seriously? Yeah, I seriously did. And did I had you in the locker room? Well, no, no. I did not have an in. Uh the reason I got tickets for that game was I had flown out to Vancouver for game 6. Yeah. Uh cuz I was obsessed and I've been a Ranger fan all my life. And on the plane uh was Gary Bettman and Brian Burke who were like, yep. you know, the head of NHL and so they got me tickets for game 7. So I went with my college roommate who uh you know and um we, at the end of the game, we heard this rumor that the uh, cup was going to be down at Tribeca. So when we go down to Tribeca. We figure it's got to be at one of the popular bars down there. Nothing happening. You know, have a drink. Get in a cab. Say, take us to the cup. Cab takes us to Upper West Side, thinks he knows where it is, drives around. It's like 45 minutes later. He doesn't know where it is. We say, let us out. Get out of the cab. Another, hail down one more cab. Next cab. Take us to the cup. Oh, yeah, I know where it is. Takes us right over and it's the east east side, right? We've been looking on the wrong side of town. Finds the police stanchions, everything. We got a ranger gear on, you know, go up to the stanchion, wanting to be recognized for the first time in my life by the cops. You know, I just like, you know, hey, you know, can I get past? The guy recognizes me, says, go ahead. I get to the door of the club. It's the bouncers that's dressed really well. They say, you can't come in here with that jersey on. This is a fancy party. And then the other bouncer goes, wait a second that dude was wearing the ranger blue in vancouver i saw him on the television you know (laughs) we we wore we had worn our our jerseys in vancouver and gotten pelted with stuff oh yeah vancouver yeah vicious Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so uh that was my way in and so i got into this party with my friend my college roommate and an hour later uh messier walks in with the cup and 20 minutes after that i'm drinking from it and 5.30 Five thirty in the morning. I remember vague memories of the New York City Police Department bagpipe band playing, <laughs> playing in the morning as uh, the sun rose <laughs> over Manhattan. <laughs> it was quite God. a surreal. So you amazing filmed Shawshank
0: the same year you drank from the Rangers Stanley Cup. That's right. That's, That's right. unbelievable. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. Dream come true.
0: That's a good Dream way to end true. the podcast. Yeah. This was fun. Tim Robbins. Good luck with the movie. I'm glad we finally did this. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Thanks so much to State Farm. Thanks to Simply Safe, comprehensive professional home security at fair price. Right now it's the best time of the year, especially for one of my listeners to get a Simply Safe security system. My listeners get a free security camera plus a huge discount on your security system. Visit SimplySafe.com/slash BS for a free camera plus Simply Safe's holiday savings, limited time only offer. Ending soon, simply safe with two eyes, simply safe.com slash BS. And thanks to Square, the company that makes that little white Square credit card reader, they also make pretty much anything you need to run and grow any kind of business point of sale, payroll, online stores, invoices, and whatever you need. See how Square can take your business from Square One to whatever's next at square.com slash go slash BS. Coming back on Thursday with one more podcast this week. We'll do a little NBA. We'll do a little NFL Red Hot Million Dollar Picks right now. Until then.